to the Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan. I'm Duncan. I'm Darren. And today uh, we're going to be talking about Darren's and my experiences with what we consider to be a hidden gem in the audiophile hobbies kind of past. Um, our experiences with it, our uh, thoughts about um, where it can be improved. I won't give too much more away, but I will say that it stems from a listener question. And so um, we'll get into those when we uh, approach that segment of the podcast. But, but without further ado, let's start as we always do. What's been going on with you lately, audio-wise, Darren? Well, uh, a lot of uh, work-based stuff. So I'm I'm an engineer for PS Audio, and not just an engineer, senior analog design engineer, senior yeah. analog. I'm an engineer for for PS Audio and doing the and fun I'm stuff. Doing yeah, doing the circuits, uh, designing products, and so I've been involved in uh, working on some unique designs of mine, and I've been pretty bogged down with that. So I've made some decisions to uh, lighten the load on some of my DIY projects here at the house. Well, listeners to the podcast um, know you you're about like stacked up to six crazy I'm projects. Stacked or up a like whole lot with projects. I'm, I'm doing, uh, the, the subs, subs. and if you, you can hear those in previous episodes, you can hear all about the subwoofer projects that I've done. DIY sub builds. And, and then I have, uh, I have an open baffle project coming up. That I'm I'm trying to make these massive open baffle speakers with a uh, with a CNC that I I bought, um, and then I'm uh, I was gonna redo the Dunlavi SC4 speakers right with TechStream mid ranges and tweeters and and we'll get into that maybe a little bit later in, yeah in more depth yeah in more depth yeah so so I've decided to kind of change my direction. Don't forget about acoustic treatment. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. The acoustic treatments. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on, you know? So if you put that and then if I were to sit here and describe all the stuff that I'm working on with work and related to work, you know, I, I designed circuits actually, um, off the clock. Uh, and the reason why I do that is because that's when I'm most creative. You know, it's not like, I don't, uh, I don't sit in my office and go, ah, like Eureka. Yeah. Think, 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 you know, think. no, come no, on, no, come on, idea. no, I'm come like, idea. I'm hiking. We've talked about this or I just come up with, I'm in the shower and it's like, yeah. ah, yeah. it's like, you know, what if I did this, you know? Right. And so it's, then I have to run to the computer, um, and, and start simulating Simulate circuits. Up. Yeah. And so, you know, I have, um, you know, whatever I'm working on, uh, and, and whatever is coming out at PS audio, you know, it's very delayed as far as when I, when I actually design the circuit, you know, it, it takes a while personal project time. Yeah. And it, it takes a while to get circuit, you know, a product through Yeah, yeah. Uh, to make it Many from steps. when I'm actually designing the circuit from when I, when I released the product itself. Right. Like for instance, the stellar phono stage, that was a product that was, um, released in, I believe like October. September 2019 and and I actually developed the circuit on um Thanksgiving 2017 17. and I remember um, when you did yeah and I think I mentioned that 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 you know it's one of those that you were working on for a year and a half actually that circuit before yeah it was uh tone like uh sonically I was working on it for a while but the the original design was 
was 2017 based. So, you know, I'm always kind of uh, a couple products ahead of whatever I'm currently trying to make a product, <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to put currently make into a product. Right. Um, I'm working on future circuits that then will be the next thing that gets rolled in. Yeah. And, and so, um, and so I've, I've been in a, in a creative, uh, uh, you know, on a creative role as far as making circuits. So, uh, so that's good. But, but I also have to weigh all the, the DIY projects with my work projects and yeah. I love both and I love to do both. But, uh, but so I've, I've decided to trim some stuff, yeah. uh, around here. So we'll get more into that. But, um, what about you? What's going on with you? Man, I had, um, one of the, it, well, as I described it on our Instagram channel today, it's just like my first concert experience since COVID since 20, you know, I, I was saying of 2021, but yeah, thanks. I mean, it, it just felt like normal, which was cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. it was, uh, remarkable. And but, so no matter the context, even if I hadn't heard live music for a year and a half, this wouldn't, this would still be the same water for a, person dying of of you know thirst or you know manna from heaven or something it's just it was such a an amazing experience that uh yeah contextless it was um it was one of those once in a lifetime type deals unless you know you can be third row to see yo-yo ma chris steely edgar meyer stuart duncan the goat rodeo sessions guys plus ifo donovan you know at red rocks one of at the world's red best venues yes um, every month and it's a once in a month type of thing, but that doesn't happen. It's, this is, I mean, it was, it was one of those where, uh, you know, as a musician, I'm, I'm hyper-focused into the musicianship as a recording and mastering engineer, I'm focused on how they're trying to recreate this. Cause it's not the right type of environment, you know, running acoustic instruments through a PA is, is can be terrible it but it's a necessity and so of course they just they just mic'd it they didn't use any di's which i thought was interesting um we'll get into the sonics in a second but um ultimately being third row from these folks makes it more so that you, you see them as people and there's just a person over there chris Thiele, playing 64th notes or whatever uh blowing our minds and doing things and all of these guys um, you know, almost within arm's reach. But I think uh, it, it, one of the standouts to me was Aoife O'Donovan. And to, to anyone listening, I think most of our listeners know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Goat Rodeo Sessions, uh, Yo-Yo Ma, Chris Thiele, Yo-Yo Ma on cello, Chris Thiele on uh, mandolin, Edgar Meyer on bass, and Stuart Duncan on fiddle. And they released their second group album, group collaboration album last year in June or July called, uh, not our first goat rodeo. And the first goat rodeo was called the goat rodeo sessions. Now, um, famously, uh, expertly recorded, um, sort of a, a chamber music approach, minimal instruments, quad quartet. But, uh, it's interesting to know that many of these guys are multi-instrumentalists. So Stuart Duncan playing, playing uh, bass on one, on one song will go to the piano next and, then Chris Steely will grab a violin and we'll do these really technical duet stuff with Stuart Duncan. And then Stuart will grab a, a banjo and, and Chris will, will grab an octave mandolin. And, and there's a lot of that, you know, um, 
hearing it on the album is one thing where you hear this stuff that's so impressive, like uh, Less Is Moi, that track um, on the new one, or uh, Elephant in the Corn on the old album. Some of these um, just sawing tracks where the intricacy is, is really what part of the magic is. When you watch it in person, it's different. It's, it's another three extra layers of like, wow, because you watch these guys interact and fit in with each other. And when you're listening, it's so much to handle. You're sort of, you're sort of getting it on a bigger picture, but, but being able to kind of look at individual musicians and see how they fit into this, very intricate puzzle of these compositions was was so cool to to connect that i wouldn't say it's like if you've listened to someone on the radio and then all of a sudden you see their face and it's kind of like strange but it also ties up a lot of loose ends or something mentally there was a little bit of that but it was just such an experience to watch these guys actually pull off these tracks i i've gotten to know fairly well by listening to them you know, but just understanding new levels to the complexity of what they're doing because you're able to see what they're doing and how they, you know, how they uh, focus their efforts and where they where they come in and how they listen to each other and wait and all this kind of stuff. It's so cool. But Aoife, man, she didn't hit a wrong note. She she would she'd be backstage for three songs, come out, belted out, never a wrong note, but also like also incredible and, and, and impactful and emotive. And she's one of my favorite singers, I think of all time in my whole life. Um, mm. And it's been that way, but, but watching her do it live, mm. you know, there's an element to Chris Thiele's singing where it's just like kind of unbelievable because mm. he doesn't hit wrong notes and he can really kind of, his voice sounds like a violin. It's got this dynamics and you're just like, how he's just so practiced. And so is she, they're just the top of their game. So, you know, watching, you know, I'm a big vocal guy. It's so hard to be a very, very good singer. And, um, and a lot goes into it. But then when you watch someone in a flow state like them, where there's, they're not, they're not encumbered by a lot of little things that would get in the way of somebody else that's less experienced. They're flowing and, and man, it was cool. That's Uh, awesome. What was the sound like? So it sound was horrible. Um, so third row, you could hear all, all the fans from the stage lighting. And uh, there yeah. must have been a hundred Parkan lights and each mm-hmm. of them have fan, a fan. Yep. And it sucked. And, yeah. and the, uh, some, some reason like, or for some reason, like when you're that close to the stage, you get just a lot of treble off Lots the erase. Lots of trebles off the erase. Uh, Thank you. I, yeah. I was hearing that, and I was yeah. like, this doesn't make well, sense. Well, I mean, even in the vocal, the vocal sounds so messed up. Yeah, you're almost... I was at the level of the erase, but yeah. so the transverse still, wave was hitting me yeah, or something. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's wild. I don't know. But the so, reserve... You were obviously in the reserve section. Oh, yeah. The, um, yeah, yeah, and, the, yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. the reserve... Sec- what's interesting is the reserve section... I think there's about... 13 rows the reserve section or so yeah uh, something like that and and it's actually some of the worst sound in the whole it venue. Is some of the worst sound it's 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 very very bad with there. acoustic instruments you weren't close enough to hear them on their own mm-hmm. but you were far enough away that you're hearing them through the pa but not the way the pa was intended to play them yeah so you're hearing so much six kilohertz was what kept going through my mind yeah where you hear on the violin and you hear that on the so that's the, a little the, distracting. The best sound in Red Rocks is like sixty percent up. 
I think below the soundboard um, at, at at row forty two. Uh, yeah, is, I think it's it's, I think it's probably below base. and above the middle. Yeah, I that's think that's where so. I find right. I yeah. find the best. Yeah. The, the problem with above the middle is this: is if it's windy. Well, we talked about that. And last it's week. wild. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, if, if yeah, you know, for those who have never been to Red Rocks before, you you should probably make it uh, on your uh, on your bucket list. But um, but it's windy up there because you're on the freaking side of a of a mountain and you're looking at Denver. It's cool. and and you're looking at Denver, right? And but then you're also subject to getting hit with all this wind. Yeah, and the wind takes the sound when you're fr- when you're up at works. the top. Yeah. It's wild. You just hear the wind move the sound yeah. around. Well, I talked the- about that last week and how that was a huge uh, played a huge role in the John Mayer concert. This one, there's no wind. And yeah, well, you're too like, close too. Yeah. We're like walking a stage, and I'm thinking, like, should I bring a sh- uh, uh, a uh, sweater or something like that? And uh, it's always a thought at Red Rocks. It was the hottest yeah. concert I've ever been ever to. been at. Yeah. Okay, yeah. it's sort of sweaty. You're at the there. bottom too because they yeah. pack us in there. So each mm-hmm. seat is like you know this narrow. Yeah. So I was really elbows to elbows with the other guy, but. Mm. man yeah just epic experience that's Um, awesome take a look at instagram our instagram page if you want to see a quick video clip that i took of ifo donovan singing and chris silly singing a little bit you could see yo-yo ma playing you can see all the guys um just just one of those nights that you i will never forget that's great and uh very cool yeah and and again thanks so much to to my buddy um who made that possible but my buddy colin was scoping these tickets a while ago and that's um, awesome yeah. Isn't it cool looking back when you're uh, in that I did in a that bunch area? Of that. We're looking back and you see the rocks you and then the you crowd. see the crowd and the, the crowd is this endless and you see the crowd like the band sees the crowd. The crowd is illuminated at Red Rocks where in other venues it's really not and it's harder for the, the artists to see the crowd. At Red Rocks there's an element that, that makes it so um, satisfying as a performer because I know num- a number of people who have performed on stage at Red Rocks and it's a it's a pinnacle achievement. But but when you're there, you always see the musicians really respond visually and like sonically to all their applause. They're just like, it's a, wow, it's a special place. It's really like it's a really special. You're place. all focused on the musician, and the musicians focused on you because there is this kind of like. There's enough lighting there. They do it. Mm-hmm. They light the crowd at Red Rocks. It's yep. crazy. It's cool. It is interesting how, um, I guess, you know, one of the real challenges to live sound is, you know, dis- uh, dispersing the sound evenly throughout yeah. a, a, a stadium that's like that. That's as, you know, the, uh, the, um, the rake, the rake angle on the, on the, the slope yeah. uh, that, that yeah. you're at, yeah. at that venue is so, is so steep that it, it seems like it's a real challenge to get Gotta the frequency response right across the whole the whole place. They curve, but there are arrays. places that sound a lot better than other places, yeah. and it's not the front, and it's not the very, very, very back. Yeah, You're so agreed. it's you know yeah. they they just choose I guess the, t- the like just above and below the center of the of the of yeah. the place. I think globally they'll just try to minimize the sweet spots and try to you know spread it as much and. Chris Brunhaver, uh, our speaker expert that we bring on from time to time, he could tell us a lot more. But he's he's talked a little bit about um, long distance line array science and mm. how fascinating mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, it's and a really great venue. I mean, it's world class. So it was yeah. a stupid experience. And I um, the uh, I was at Red Rocks uh, um, a few times this year. Two weeks at the ago, last last time I was ago. there, like yeah, three or four weeks ago. 
um, I saw a string cheese incident there and, um, and I was about 60% uh, uh, the way up gotcha. in the, in the crowd. And we measured, uh, one Oh, like one Oh five, uh, peak. And what, what's interesting about that is, well, what's interesting about that though, is that on our systems, you can hit. 108, 110 peak. With a low distortion system. With a low distortion yeah. peak. And it doesn't sound nearly as loud as that does. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you know, I, of course I have earplugs in, but when I, if I take them out for a second or something, it's just unbearable. You know, it's Like fun. the distortion coming off the horns and stuff, it's just so nasty. Go see the goat rodeo. There's, there's yeah. no need for earplugs. Of course mm. not. Mm. It was, it was, I didn't even think about that, but that's one of the show, first shows that I've been to in very long time where mm. earplugs are not a necessity. I'm, I'm I hoping Manlin Orange is going to be like that. I'm sorry, Watch House. I'm still they, I'm still struggling. Are they with that. sticking with that name? Well, I have the record right here, and it says Watch House. Yeah, it came so in. They it. just released the record a few days ago. It came in. They're they're sticking with it's Watch House, uh, and I get it. You know, no, I you know I I'm starting to warm up. I'm starting to warm up to it. Because it, it's the um, Mandarin it, it's Orange It's so different. This, this album is different than oh. any other Mandolin Orange album. Okay, so they needed to reinvent um, themselves. Well, yeah, that. I think he just wanted to do something different. I think Andrew okay. wanted to do something different. And, and you know, so... Um, cool. Yeah. Anyways, it, it's an interesting album. That's well, this Watch House, and the album name is Watch House. It's self-titled. It used to be a band called Mandolin Orange, if you're not familiar with them. They're one of my favorite bands. Uh, check them out. Yeah. But uh, but anyways, let's get to some questions. Wait, the last thing about me, oh. and then we have to... Uh, oh, yeah, and we already did uh, What's About You. Um, the last thing with me was today a listener named Phil Montan, whose uh, who's, uh, question we answered oh, yeah. uh, know, like a month ago or something like that, um, sent me a bunch of tweak stuff to check out. So, uh, first of all, thanks, Philemon. And, uh, yeah, well, this will be coming in future episodes. I've got these right here, these AC line filters, quiet line. I've got five, uh, five of them. It's, uh, it's a little, what we, what we think just looking at the literature, maybe a capacitor between a cross line and neutral. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, it's these little wall warts that are just kind of cut off and, and uh, you chunk hmm. them in, in an outlet. And uh, I think what you're doing is just doing some high-frequency filtering. So I'm looking for it. But the cool thing is sometimes with things like this, the effect is cumulative. Yeah. So that's why I appreciate uh, the five because I could put all these in one strip and put it in one outlet or mm -hmm. spread them around a whole room, that kind of thing. See what happens. Um, yeah. And we, uh, in engineering, we call those uh, X capacitors, actually, because it's an X capacitor rating. Yeah, for for safety. Yeah, so um, it's rated for safety. It's probably a very low value, probably right. Yeah, and yeah, they, they can be they can be quite large. They can be as large as as ten microfarads per. Whoa, they can be. Yeah, wow. they, they're giant. Yeah, okay. huh. yeah. We actually use them in our regenerators on the input. We gotcha. use giant X capacitors. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, and then a a Y capacitor is to to ground. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Right. So anyway, um, thanks, Philemon. Uh, also sent some USB regenerator stuff. So, you know, like an uh, uh, uptone ISO and a, another jitterbug. I did manage to fr already fry one of my USB ports because I don't think you're supposed to put daisy chain two jitterbugs on top of each other and then two ISO regens and, and accidentally underpower one. <laughs> 
is what I did today. <laughs> because why not? I'm I'm the tweakaholic. Tweak Taylor. Tweak Taylor. I'm gonna take it to the nth degree and see yeah. where that's like. So I did everything at once, and then I realized, oh, this thing wants six to eight volts. I was giving it five <laughs> at at point five milliamps. I don't know if that's the issue, but or if it was the daisy chaining of the jitterbugs. Maybe we're not supposed to do that, but I <laughs> kind of torched a USB. USB uh, uh, jack today. Oh, wow. So I use a different one. Now Now I can get an audio signal again. But This so, is all part of the exploration and the journey. So uh, he, he had a note in there that said for Tweak Taylor, right? Yes, tweak the, yeah. Tweakaholic, yes. Yeah. Great yeah. listener. Thanks again, Phil. And this is going to be a fun journey. I'll report back about anything I hear with these things. But All right, so... That is up with us this week. Uh, now we get into questions. And um, we're going to tackle two questions like usual. Um, but that second question we're going to extend out to the uh, topic of the show. Because uh, we thought it was cool. And it, we also... Um, there's some things that we've said about the subject matter. and the, But there's still things that we we think we have left to say about it. So we're excited. So let's get to the first question about bass traps. This comes, let's see here, from Brian. And I will just get right into it. Great question. Hi, Darren and Duncan. As a renter in a basement with a small room, I've found bass traps to be absolutely essential to good sound. I owned Vic Totems. I don't know what those are, by the way. Vic totems. Vic I know, totems. I know totem loudspeakers. Um, let me just look this up really. Is quick. it um, Vic Vic totem all in one acoustic panel? Interesting. Well, anyway, we're not familiar with this um, brand, so we're just kind of checking this out as we uh, as hmm. we check these out. Maybe they're acoustic uh, or they're totem acoustics. Let me continue. Uh, I owned Vic Totems, which I really didn't like, and now I own nine ASC tube traps that I have acquired used, and for about 4500 Canadian, they are the absolute best use of money I've ever encountered. His follow-up email lets us know that he he now uh, listens to Vandersteen Model 3A signatures, which is a speaker that I absolutely love. Um, he continues, Brian continues, why do some setups and rooms manage to get away without bass traps and still sound reasonably good? Even so, the diffusion and instant damping of pressure in my room leads to amazing details and coherency that I find unavailable in other systems that still sound good. Are bass traps just overlooked because they are expensive? Could you do an overview of the different types of styles and... Uh, of the different types and styles of bass traps. I've done research, but would like your take on it. I've become somewhat of a fanboy of art for art knocks on and ASC tube traps. And I'm looking for you to knock me back into reality with a more nuanced and balanced view of bass trap options in the market. Also, if you could talk a little bit about the idea that measurements won't measure bass in a room accurately because entire bass octaves are averaged together and that the limitations of measuring uh, bass uh, and what the limitations of measuring base are. I know you are big into the DSP, so I'm wondering how do you DSP base if you can't measure it very well? Thanks, Brian. Great questions. Mm-hmm. Um, all 
Uh, I should say uh, there's some there's some follow ups and he sent some some pictures. So he's got uh, diffusers on his back wall behind his. Um, I'm always bad with rear wall and front wall. I'm just gonna say back wall, like behind your ears. I yeah. don't know if that's right. It's probably not. But are these like QRDs? Or? They are ones that I have experience with. They are the Vicoustic VC2 Multifuser, which I actually okay. like. It's yep. made out of styrofoam. Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with them. It's very they're very light. Yeah. Um, but they are uh they're chunky and modular, and so that's actually uh, the background to my YouTube videos at, at TMR. Mm-hmm. Um so he's got those behind his ears, looks like about eight feet to ten feet or something. He's got something, uh some absorption or diffusion on the ceiling, looks like these circular clouds. And then he's got tube traps around he's got some in the corners um he's got a bunch behind the speakers i guess in the front wall if that's what you call the front wall so uh why why are they overlooked why can some systems sound pretty good without any bass traps um are bass traps just overlooked because they're expensive do you want to do you want to start yeah sure um one thing i'll start with is that Rooms have innately different amounts of bass absorption in them. So, you know, you may not have bass traps necessarily, but you may have things that are acting like bass traps. And something that acts like a bass trap is a uh, a couch, you know? And so maybe you have a couch, maybe it has a pull-out mattress inside. Well, it's, a, it's essentially a big bass trap. Uh, so... You know, versus having a small room or a larger room that just has a single, you know, basic chair in the center. You don't, you're missing the couch, which is just this big mass of insulation, essentially. Um, especially if it has a mattress, if it's a pullout. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you have rooms that have innately a, be- a like, you know, some, some uh, base absorption built into them. Um, and then you have rooms that just have different uh, base you know, responses, like the way that the actual room is, is constructed, uh, really it changes the way that the base behaves in the room. Like whether the floor, like how, how rigid the floor is, or if it's like a trampoline, like the large room that I have is, or maybe it's something that is generally a little weak, but it, but it's, uh, uh, but it's really taut in nature. So it's, it's, uh, it's not like, you know, it's not, uh, d- uh damped very, it sounds like it very could be much. resonant. Yeah. Like very resonant ha- has a high, ha- ha- has like a higher resonant frequency yeah. to it. And so, you know, I find older homes, like, you know, old brick homes just have a really solid floor, main floor. And then you have, you know, brick walls and it just sounds there. It's weird because I live in a house that has an addition to it. So the large room is this uh, addition that was built in the 1990s. And then the other half of the house, which is actually has the smaller listing room with the Sasha's, it was built in the 19 teens. Yeah. And so this floor is like super rigid with uh, complete brick walls around it. So I'm dealing with completely two different room types and two different constructions. And it's, it's quite amazing how base change uh, changes depending on what room you're in. So there's a lot of variables to base performance. I mean, and we haven't even gotten into dimensions or, or a uh, ceiling height and, and, uh, and those kind of, well, the uh, dimensions only so, matter if, if they're going to be reflections, if the base stays in the room. So 
it starts with the room like you talk like you're saying yeah and then you have basements which are concrete slabs and concrete walls and concrete walls are really really odd things um they they absorb they have like this really non-linear absorption characteristic about them uh, which can be mitigated by either you can drywall it and then do treatments on top of that or you can throw diffusion on that but you know the basements have their own characteristic in themselves um but i mean all that aside you know uh base traps are are really nice they're bulky they're big in the room but if you need them and they're really making a difference then then that's uh that's great but one of the reasons why some rooms you can get away without without any base traps are are these the fact that you have a lot of mass in the room you have other things going on you have the Uh, furniture you have maybe big cabinets of books and lps and you have uh, a rigid floor maybe or a concrete slab it just changes the way the base behaves in the room it really does yeah uh when i studied the bbc studies on on modular absorbers their modular absorber studies they were looking at they were studying the science that Art Noxon really gets into in at from ASC, and I should start by saying, Brian, I'm a Art Noxon fanboy myself. I'm huge about what he did to bring this into people's consciousness, and um, so um, the BBC was just noticing that, you know, this isn't very complicated. When we are talking about a specific type of of absorption where you have millions of fibers that sympathetically vibrate to uh, waves that impact them, and then in that movement of vibration, they convert that energy to heat, so a lot of it, mm-hmm. you know, um, they found a correlation between the absolute low end of what frequencies uh, could be absorbed at the at the same rate. So they're, they're, they have an effective range, right? where it's absorbing at this rate. And for every type of absorber, you plot it on a graph and it's a narrow band of, of frequencies. And it's, and the way that you approach different frequencies is through thickness and depth and amount of material. What they found was for realistic absorption of base frequencies, you needed six feet to 20 feet of, 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 concurrent absorptive millions of fibers that are Mm. sympathetically vibrating. And um, so they found that it was more, more useful and appropriate to neglect those base waves to a degree because it wasn't viable and to use these absorbers for more mid band absorption. And so there, they ended up on these thickness of these panels being like four inches or something like that. Cause it covered a decent range of frequencies. So that's one way of, of, of trapping base of, of, of changing the energy into something that isn't sound it's heat. Right. And, and the other approaches to, to dealing with base is to let it escape, which is, goes into what you were talking about. When you, when you get, when you sink into a basement where you have concrete walls and floor, the only way for base to escape is up. And one of the things Art talks about is in the world of sound treatment in a room, uh, of, of reducing, uh, absorbing in a room, that's called NRC, and then sound transmission 
to another room, STC. So you have these two things that you're dealing with. These, these, you know, is this room going to seal in all the sound? If so, then I have a whole lot more problems on my hand NRC wise. Now I have to, and that's what a concrete, full concrete room is concrete ceiling, concrete walls and concrete floor doesn't let any energy out. And so then the sound inside is absolutely horrible and, and you have to absorb every frequency. And, uh, and you talk about mass, you know, mass is one of the ways that you reflect bass. The bigger the frequency, the, 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 the thicker, the, the, um, material you're going to require in order to have a, a really solid reflection of that energy wave. So Brian actually sent us uh, another follow-up email where he explained his system, but he does mention that the side walls in his room have rooms beyond them for base to escape to, and the rear wall is a double French doors, and these are the ones he has the uh, diffusers on, Mm -hmm. that open into an equally large room, which works great for base. So Brian understands, um, which is what I was going to say, my preference over base trapping per se is to first start with a room where these pressure releases like your yep. den here, take a lot of the problems out of the equation. It to begin really, with. it really does. I like having some sort of area where the room opens. Yeah. yeah. Let the STC go. Like, like, uh, mm. it, it lowers your NRC needs challenges and an amount of stuff you have to do. Yeah. Um, so, so when you're in a basement, you do, you are going to reap a lot of benefits by doing other things to attack the base. Mm-hmm. So Art's tube traps are cool. They're big cylinder, um, and he makes them in all shapes mm-hmm. and sizes, but ultimately it's a cylinder with stuffing in it. One side is quote unquote diffusive. The other side is quote unquote absorptive. It, the way he makes it, it's got a sonically transparent, uh, fabric on the outside and then it's got this like cylindrical structure and on one side you know it, it, the sound waves can go straight into that um, stuffing part of it and on the other side uh, I know somebody that's taken these apart before there's sort of a, a, a sheet that uh, that is a high frequency reflector but based on the curvature of these cylinders and how big they are it's actually also effective at diffusing middle frequencies too um, because it's got a fairly wide radius so uh, the idea is that one side's reflective the other side's diffusive and so you can actually turn them so that the diffusive and pull them away from the corner so that waves bounce off your corners lose some energy as we've talked about when mm-hmm. they change direction come back and then get absorbed yeah really effective products mm-hmm. another thing the bbc noticed that if we were going to do base absorption which is just takes so much material and stuff we should do it in the corners because ultimately the corners are the least used area of a room and they also cause problems well it's also where you have high pressure points high pressure points so and- like there's modal uh there's modal distribution in the room mm. based mm-hmm. on the boundary conditions of the dimensions. And so uh, this is like where, yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, you know, like where you have a plate and a speaker uh, and then you put a bunch of rice on the plate mm. and they, they mm-hmm. sweep frequencies. And as the frequencies change, the boundary conditions change. Yes. So the areas of high pressure and low pressure um, uh, create these in- very interesting structures that are the, actually the mathematical boundary conditions 
Um, wow. And, uh, and in our rooms, we have, we have the same thing happening, oh, I see. Okay. but in a, in a more complex uh, fashion because yeah, it's actually too. A, a 3d, uh, uh, a three dimensional aspect to the, to the, uh, to this instead of just 2d like the rice. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting, you know, you're generally with the base traps, you do want a very, uh, the, one of the reasons why they're so large and they need to be so large is actually cause they can't be unlike high frequency absorption. They can't be a uh, high density. It needs to be actually quite low density because yes. you want those fibers to move and to actually sympathetically vibrate. Exactly. Yeah. So like our, uh, insulation, like R30 is really nice actually for, uh, base traps. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, yeah, it's base traps are awesome. They're, they're very large in the room. Um, and again, uh, they, it, just like he points out, uh, some rooms just don't need as much base, uh, uh, treatment because, Maybe you have all these variables that we just talked about, and then you have things like big sofas, you know, and I, it's like the big sofa thing is like one of, you know, my tricks. It's one of your tricks. What yeah, was my trick? Like, oh, it was adding insulation behind and under the big sofa. That, yeah, that's a great idea, too. If your sofa's I might, up on feet. I might, add, I might add that to my tweaks. You could do that in here. Yeah, you could, could put a ton of it, and I you could. wouldn't even see it if you get it right. Yeah. Right. It's a good idea. It's a good place that's not used. It just collects dust. That's and... the idea of the corner, too. Like, yeah. let's think about the places where it's not going to bother us. Yeah. And Upper pop, you know, of... Popcorn won't go under there, and you'll yeah. find it two years later, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, so... Um, so there's different approaches. There's the limp membrane approach. Um, this is where you're still using fibers, because you still need to ultimately convert the energy. Energy's got to go somewhere. You know, it's... It's got to go somewhere. So you want to create heat with this. So, but the the what you do is you create a panel that's a that's a trapped um, enclosure, and uh, it's it's solid wood on all sides except for one side where it's very thin wood. It can be thin plywood, um, but a lot of times uh, thick rubber is used. If you think about the kind of industrial floor mats hmm. that people put down, that kind of like level of rubber. Mm-hmm. And then mm. that is stretched, tacked, stretched like a like a higher, like a not like a two hertz frequency or something low, but also like stretched enough that it's that it's effective for what you're aiming for. So that thing gets activated sympathetically with big bass waves in the room, starts moving, and is this and is this trap seals enclosure. So it, it, there's there's some kind of like pressure changes that 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 reduce its movement and convert it to heat through the actual rubber. And then you fill that cavity inside with fibrous material like R30 to also convert, just convert the whole thing to heat. Hmm. So um, these can be a very effective trap. Um, My understanding, and I don't have experience firsthand with them because it's a huge project to make these things, not only, not just make one of them, but fill your room with them and do them in the right places. Sky Online, Ethan Weiner is a great resource for trying this in the past. And Ethan is still very active in today's day and age and and, and is a very opinionated fellow uh, himself. (laughs) Yep. Um, But one of his opinions is that limp membrane base traps are garbage because they don't get active they're slow they don't get activated i think i remember reading he said a 50 hertz wave they don't get activated until the 12th 
cycle of that wave. Um, he's like, and then they have memory. And so they don't stop until after the thing. And so it's slowing your response down and it's, and it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater is kind of, I think his message. Um, I've, you know, I've read a lot of, um, his stuff about bass traps, but in theory to me, that makes a whole lot of sense that uh for me maybe maybe the sympathetic vibrate the 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 limp membrane which also i think you can consider the green glue and the second round of drywall something of that but i think green glue is a tr- is, is is trying to be a little more wide band um in their approach it's not exactly just a just a base trapping thing so i didn't really include that in this but cool what else do i have to yeah. think about base trapping that's kind of it it's it's really the the less the fewer pressure releases that you have the yeah. more you're going to have to focus on bass trapping then again if if That's, all of your yeah. bass goes everywhere else then you're going to have to create way more bass than you listen to and in previous podcasts we've talked about this pushes your bass makers be they subwoofers or just full range speakers further into non-linearity so it's just like in audio, there's always a comp. There's always there's never a free lunch in audio. No nope. trades and compromises. Brian, we're just thrilled that you've reached a point where something you've done has brought you this yeah awesome resolution. That's there's nothing more that's satisfying. What in this that's hobby. what you gotta find. You gotta find whatever does yeah. that in your situation. But you could be in a different room and perhaps not get the same, you know, uh, same results. So. Mm-hmm. Well, for for Brian, he says this is the best forty five hundred dollars he'd ever spent. I think that's, that's excellent, an awesome thing to share with everybody and, I, and for us to talk about. So I, I think thanks. overall, audiophiles uh, underspend on room treatment. Yeah, and underestimate what it can bring compared Indeed. to other things. It's hard, man. You wrap yeah. your head around all this other stuff, and you're just like, I really have to deal with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The room is the room is like a really big factor. All right, before we go, let's so, let's do his last question, which yep. was, if you can't trust base measurements, how do you DSP base? Right. And I liked this question so much. Yeah, that, that is... Of course you're going to encounter this. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I've been involved, like, in... Uh, it's it's no secret, uh, PS Audio is working on uh, speakers. <laughs> and so I've been heavily involved in the speaker design uh, and I've learned a lot of, uh, from Chris Brunhaver, who, uh, is our speaker our senior speaker designer at PS audio. And we've had him on the podcast a few times. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with him. Um, and he's taught me a lot about, about the subject. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the answer, I'll just cut straight to the chase is that you don't, you don't have the resolution in the room with a microphone, uh, you know, in the couple hundred hertz region. Right. You just don't. It's like two hundred and below. And so, yeah. So you're you're gonna have to um, you're gonna have to do it by ear. By ear. I'm you, glad you, you said that because yeah, that's you, what you, was gonna be my answer. You are. There's no other way. That and was be you my know, answer. the the other way is that you um, you dig your floor out. <laughs> yeah, ten feet under your floor. And then you measure your room at the, your listening position with right. the with the floor gone under you. So for that 10 your feet. speaker is truly twenty, or your microphone is truly twenty feet above the the bottom. Yeah, that's the one of the problems is the, the floor feet, bounce. Feet. 
The floor so, bounce is, is, is a lot of it. Yeah, is, is a of lot it. of it. So, that, so um, you know, in order, what we do at PS Audio to measure the loudspeakers is that we actually, um, we, put a, uh, we put the speaker on our forklift and we bring it up uh, 25 feet in the warehouse. And then we actually have a microphone going all the way up and measuring the loudspeaker, like basically floating in the middle of this 50-foot room, the, fl- the, the ceiling. And that's how we get bass resolution. So, uh, so essentially, in your, in your room, you're, you're not going to have that ability. So this is uh, for the FR30 that you guys are getting mm-hmm. close to completing. Yeah, Very yeah, cool. right. Very cool. So, you know, you can also have anechoic chambers that give you higher resolution as well. Yeah, the thought but is, the, uh, what do people say, 40 feet above the ground is really ideal if you can, <laughs> if you can do it? If yeah. you're, yeah, so you have to be, you have Ugh. to be way off the ground. But then um, what does that tell you about how the, how the bass makers are making bass in your room with all of your specific needs? Nothing. Well, I can, I can tell you just from our experience so far is that we, we struggle... Um, and I'm sure this every a lot of other uh, speaker manufacturers know this. It's just it's so hard to get resolution down there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so difficult. And low I mean, even even in yeah. you know, and especially uh, for many of you that read Stereophile, when you look at you know just a couple hundred hertz of John Atkinson's measurements, he may do near field um, measurements on the loudspeaker, and that does tell you a little bit about what it's doing. Um, so they actually put the microphone right up on the woofer. Yeah, yeah. You can get more resolution that way mm-hmm. and know a little bit about what that driver is doing, but you don't know about how it's interacting in the room. Silly right? that it's making a 40-foot 40, 40 wave, but you can still get some information well, like, it's like a, an inch away from it. It's like a headphone. Yeah, it's you know, a, I mean, headphone, a headphone at that point. A headphone can do 15 hertz. Yeah, 15 hertz out of a headphone. Right. But... Um, so, uh, so, you know, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, you got to listen, you got to listen. And then as some of the best speakers in the world, what I've, I've realized is that, th- that if you tune anything by ear, it's actually the very bottom. It's actually the, the very bottom is the least predictable when it comes to the measurements. And, and if you're going to, hmm. you measure something and, and you think oh, it's flat. Yeah. You, you measure something, you think it's flat and you go and listen to it. And what's really throwing it off is the fact that you're you're probably off on the bottom end, and you have to retune it, and you have to tune it by ear and get it right by ear a little bit. And and a lot of people talk about how hard it is to design a loudspeaker by just measurements alone, and and many miss. Um, and I'll actually I'm going to bring this back up in the podcast uh, a bit in a in a bit, um, but. Uh, you know, so many people talk about how difficult it is to design a loudspeaker without listening to it. And, you know, this is one of the reasons is that the measurements are really difficult to make. You know, it's not like an amplifier where yeah. uh, th- there are actual ways and uh, there are, are actual ways to, to objectively design an amplifier um, and know that it's, it's going to sound... Uh, um, at least very transparent. Um, and I, you know, that's something I've been thinking a lot about in the past two years or at least 16 months. And, um, and so, you know, it's, it, it is possible because our measurement systems are so much more accurate with amplifiers, but with speakers, it's very difficult. So yeah, as far as the DSP, you have to listen to it. Um, Tune it if by you ear. think about it, 
there is such a transition zone between 200 Hertz and down, you know, there's no driver that's, there are, there are drivers and there's implementations that, that focus most of the energy of, of base units around that, that area, I guess. But, uh, but if you think about the fact that you've got a subwoofer and the way subwoofer works, uh, 80 and below, let's just call it in the omnidirectional area of, of audio. And then you've got 200 Hertz. There's a lot of bass that carries with it transient information that's higher frequency in nature. And we've talked about this before, how some of those bass transients with actual treble energy in them. But I, and I, that exists, but I actually think more common is bass energy with mid-bass transient information and with mid-range transient information, um, just for the nature of bass instruments being a bassy instrument, some of their harmonics can kind of like have lower frequency characteristic because their fundamental is lower in frequency, right? And so when I find like, you know, um, the idea that, that, you know, you can, you can accomplish everything, um, with, with one approach. Um, yeah, I wonder about that. And, um, you know, listening for, for bass, you're going to have to, to know bass. And I think that's what I come down to is that I've been a, a kind of a bass head since I was like 12. And I very much rely on my hearing and, and, uh, satisfaction with the bass response. Um, whereas in, in other areas of the spectrum, I'm, you know, like you said, it, it can be a little more objective. But what's funny about the bass is because we can't rely on our measurements. I feel like a lot of people design speakers, uh, the bass part of speakers, more objectively than the other parts of the speaker, which we, they will bring subjective listening into. With the bass part, they can't trust the measurements, so they will look at, at the roll-off of the driver. They will look at the, uh, the way the cabinet volume might impact the roll-off of the driver and the resonant frequency of the driver and kind of kind of do best practices and use a lot more cerebral uh, approach to, to uh, trying to make linear bass. Um, and they will look at things like, okay, this is the resonant of the driver, so I need help here and port it there and that kind of thing. But it seems to me like it would be more of an objective design kind of procedures that have to do with the base region as opposed to the other region. And then the finished result, then you have to be, you kind of like take it with what it, take what you get with what you get. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a reason to believe that it's extremely hard to get the base resolution to the point where you design it objectively by measurements and then you take it to the room. And this is a full range speaker given and then you take it to the listening room and it's just like, bang, like done, 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 done. Right. And I have a really great reason for this. And I want to bring it up um, actually uh, after the next question. So, um, so yeah, yeah. Um, man, bass trapping, it's such a thing. It's, it's so excellent. Brian is here to remind us that this is, this, this can be, you, if you do this right, you can, you can actually really, this can be one of the best things that you do for your whole system. Best expenditure of 4,500 Canadian. He said he's ever, he's ever done. So, um, yeah, very effective. Um, we had a question recently, uh, from a listener looking at pictures of our systems and noticing that there's not too much treatment. Um, 
it's just a time thing, I guess, but you've got all yours kind of set up now. I mean, I don't think you probably still have stashes of absorbers that you still have to implement. I know you want to hang those ones from the main room, but mm -hmm. you know, Darren's into it. Um, but yeah, tube traps. I might, I might, I'm always a builder. I might build some tube traps. They seem like something that you could really knock out if you think. Yeah, you through. can. Yeah. yeah. You can put R30 in them. Art Noxon, man, he, he yeah. was, he was, uh, he did a lot of good things by, uh, inventing that and being a champion for base trapping. Well, thanks for that question, Brian. Um, just wonderful. Uh, I, it's a subject that I just love cause it's, it's one of these real cerebral things where, uh, and there's geometries involved. It's kind of a, you know, who knows? It depends, but depends on how, what you're looking at kind of thing. I just love that about audio. Okay. Our, our second and last question and our ultimate topic for this podcast comes from a listener named, uh, Brian Schmidt in Broomfield. Broomfield is a sister or a neighboring city to where we are right now. So he's, just down the road from us. Um, and Brian's uh, written in a couple times. We've had a few regular uh, writers here, but um, this one was a, a great kind of off-the-wall thought from Brian, and uh, it really got us going, so we wanted to kind of bring it to everybody. So let me read uh, Brian's question. So Brian writes, This is an out-there question for you guys. I know you have plans to rebuild the crossovers in your Dunn lobbies. I also think you have mentioned that the drivers are available for the SC3, or perhaps it was only the tweeter. I can't remember. Here's the question. I have a wood shop and a desire to own a pair of MTM of your recommendation. Since Duncan owns a pair of the SC3, would you guys be at all interested in a guinea pig kind of situation for a DIY project? I'm the guinea pig in this case. You guys have the details and dimensions in the brains. I have the desire and the tools and a bit of skill. Obviously, this be have to be on your schedule, and I realize that the crossovers are really not on the top of the list of your projects. Oh, and let me get this straight. I'm not asking you to come help me build speakers. What I'm asking is, if you could rebuild or redesign the SC3 in your heads and wonder what it might be in fruition, what would you want to find out? Brian and Broomfield. I love that last uh, summarization, su summarization of this question because it really takes this into a philosophical, like, what do we see as the potential in the uh, plans to to redesign or, or kind of rebuild these speakers? So there's a lot going on. Um, there's a lot we want to talk about we realized that Darren and I did record a podcast where we talked all about these Dunlavy speakers and kind of our experience with them. But this was one of our uh, podcasts that was a preparation podcast to kind of um, get us in training for this thing. We never actually released that one. Um, and then since then, Darren has actually talked about um, going through the process of pinning out and, and, and writing out just and, and, um, making a schematic for the crossover um, because there's been something about these speakers in our experience that just sets them apart from others that we've experienced. And then the further we go down this road of understanding what uh, John Dunlavy did with these speakers and how he designed them, the more f fantastical, quizzical kind of 
mysterious and, and amazing this design is and unique. Uh, and Darren, you've gotten to know uh, the design of your SC4s mm-hmm. um, really well and and talked about that, uh, you and Chris getting to know them. You had these plans of doing the texturing drivers. Some uh, some of that has changed. So I'm going to uh, give hand this over yeah. to you to let you kind of um, bring us up to speed on that. But yeah, first thing, Brian, uh, Broomfield, Colorado, like you yeah. mean, you mean like 15 minutes away from down the street where we're at right now. <laughs> Brian, we should probably meet, man. Yeah. Like if it's, uh, it's not COVID. Brian's the know, guy that sent me those COVID's flies. COVID's not an issue. <laughs> he sent me those flies. Oh, okay. So he's Brian All Schmidt right. Bates, Brian Schmidt yeah. And then cool. um, he actually is a as an amateur coffee roaster and recently dropped oh. off a, a bag of coffee. For oh, me. I could use some help. Uh, well, the employees at TMR really enjoyed his, oh, that's, uh, that's awesome. his roast. Yeah, it was. Yeah, incredible. I'd like to meet you, Brian. Incredible. We should uh, set something up sometime. Yeah, but okay, um, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. So this design, just as uh, Duncan put it, um, there are some aspects to this to this design that stood out to us sonically. Um, and so what I did was I pulled the crossover out of the SC4A and I backwards engineered the schematic. Um, I don't feel guilty about this or sharing it with anybody that wants that schematic. Uh, the, the company's no longer in existence for many, many, many years. Um, and I think that we should all learn from it. Um, Company doesn't exist and it's, and and it's monumental. It's fascinating what he did it is it's fascinating and so um so basically this is what i discovered was that there is very little going on in the mid-range in the crossover that it's is this little Barely it's this it. so on the um so so usually in the mid-range in a three-way loudspeaker you have what's called a bandpass filter and what that means is that it's a high pass and it's a low pass yeah, filter. top and so bottom. it's just passing the mid-range which is what you want for the mid-range driver right. and uh, because tra- mi- most mid-range drivers don't do bass at yeah. all and they don't do trouble. Don't do trouble. Break so up. So you just want. Terrible. So you just want, and they become directional at high frequency. And yeah. so you want to just use that driver in that range. And so there's there's many uh, many people may believe that it's only a frequency response issue, but it's also a directivity issue. Why we need multiple drivers in our systems, and so um, so you know you have this bandpass filter. And uh, you traditionally in a system, you use the crossover to create this bandpass filter. Well, uh, not so much in the Dunlavi design. No. Uh, what he did was he he somewhat shelved the bottom end. So uh, shelving is where you essentially you, you can kind of see it as a little like water slide, like where it goes down a little bit and then it levels off. And uh, and it's actually the mid range is pretty full range. Uh, all the way down into a couple hundred hertz even, well, the mid-range is still flat. What we find is the shelving filter is not the main mechanism for that filtering off that mid-range. 
It's, yes, right. It's two, That's uh, it's the, two other things. The, bo- bottom, the bottom end is is dictated on the inbox response with the woofer. The cabinet that he put it in. Yes. The fact that the cabinet's really small. You put it in sealed. a small enough cabinet. It's you're a small. Watching yeah, the, so you're not getting. Sealed. Yeah, you're, so he yeah. uses that as the main way to control so the low frequency response. roll off, not an electrical roll off. The top end of the driver, the driver has a lot of self-inductance to it. Which and is so, unique, right? Because usually, like Chris would say, you want a driver with low... Well, we strive for drivers that have extraordinarily low... Low self-inductance. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, the higher the inductance is, the more, um, like, modulation you're going to have and the more distortion you're going to have. So, it's not something that's very desired. But in this situation, I think that John, he traded that in, in, in saying that he's going to create this really, really simple mid-range crossover that is truly first order in the band that in the past band that probably doesn't and, um, much at all doesn't well like... phase wise it measure it doesn't i mean objectively uh, measurement right. wise it doesn't the impulse response is tr- is true um and and correct and, and that's speaker. one way you can get and it because so, there's not aggressive filters that would yeah. cause phase disruptions yeah, and so there's another way you could do it is you could use an air core inductor outside of that and mm-hmm. have the inductance outside of that. And because it's air core, you don't have any hysteresis and you don't have the same distortion. But um, but it's a very interesting, it's a very uh, damped mid-range. Uh, the mid-range is also somewhat, the way I would put it subjectively, is somewhat low resolution compared to what's out now. And you know there is a certain magic about that. Um, mm. I've uh, you know I've I've recently had some regrets about going towards TechStream, not because I heard it or something. There's still I still haven't heard any of the TechStream stuff. It's that all of my speakers are are slowly turning into like super high res you know uh, machines, and I may want some you know fun speakers around still that are you know fun things up a little well, bit because part of your goal and is to not go too far away from what you get from this amazing face right. coherent design of right his. right and so you know uh, i guess what i'm getting to is that this mid-range driver that he picked and also uh had uh custom made by the way by mm. by peerless they 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 actually um, customed the design for him. Gotcha. Um, based off some model that they had at the time, mm. but these were with specific custom part numbers that were designed for Dunlavi um, that probably had all these characteristics. You know, a very damped driver um, that had a lot of self inductance and and you know uh, yada yada yada. Um, so. So, you know, I think oh, that I this thought, was like I thought the... I by damped you were talking about um, his treatment of that cavity that they're in. Oh, yeah. No, I was I was actually talking about the cone itself. Self-damped. Is, if you look at the, gotcha. the cone, okay. the cone is like this... Um, yeah, it's plastic. It's like, yeah, it's it's plastic, but it's, it's, you know, you can, you can for instance, you can, Bend if you take bit. like a, a Harbeth, you know, um, a plastic cone yeah. and you wrap on it with your your fingernail yeah it'll have like a high frequency yeah uh, uh hit to it even yeah. this is like a thud thud when he hit it yeah. you know it's really well damped like gotcha. the cone itself yeah um there's not really much 
you know, high order distortion coming off of it. Probably it's really low ordered in nature. I assume yeah. the breakup and stuff. And it, well, actually Chris says it doesn't even really break up, which is probably because it. it's of so that. much self inductance yeah. that it rolls off before it can even break up. You can imagine if it was so paper that it would, it would it, that it would break up a little bit more. Cause there you can get more rigid there. And it, the, it's a the wild design. Is, so yeah. the, the whole thing, it, the way I see it is that the design was first, picked around this idea this mid-range idea yeah and another thing here's another thing that's interesting about this mid-range design is that because the the, there's the shelving filter at low frequency you don't actually have a true 100 percent high pass filter in this band pass filter so what did that what does that mean that means that you have this series capacitor which usually would be your high pass Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. bypassed by this super uh, low value resistor and that allows it to start and, that's the, and then that's stop. that shelf yeah, yeah that's that yeah. shelving yeah but but think about that the resistor is in parallel with the cap so so and that's the only parallel uh capacitor in that filter in the mid-range and a lot of times you know you have to spend a lot of money on that capacitor because your mid-range is going is 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 actually going through that in a series fashion. Sounds to me like you want to spend money on that resistor. Yes, and you know I've talked to you about that. Yeah. that I, that's my number one component to tweak is to actually tweak is that is resistor. actually to upgrade that resistor because yeah. you're actually bypassing the cap. A lot's going through it. Yeah, and so there's yeah. also this magic of uh, believe it or not, a lot of designs, especially you know big speakers, being limited by the quality. Mm-hmm. Of that big value cap that you put in the right. mid range, yeah. Because how much can you really spend on that? Thing? Oh, let's buy a you dual know, end, like, a hundred mic dual end. Yeah, yeah and spend five hundred dollars or something. You know, it's like or or you 5, can thousand fifty thousand five thousand. Yeah, oh, <laughs> you could spend a thousand and a half on a two mic. I don't know. Oh I'm my god, let's not. I'm talking about butt, my butt. Maybe ten mic or something. But anyways, dual end. It's, it's a lot. You know, it's a lot. Yeah. There would be a lot of money for really. So quality. then you choose Solon so, or you choose Mundor because they're the only people that are making yeah. big values. So he did Solon, which for yeah. the day is crazy. Yeah. It was super high-end components, actually. Yeah. All Solon um, in there in the lobbies. And uh, Solon, um, Solon resistors, too, right? No. No, not Solon resistors. Okay. Yeah, those, but no. those, are the high pow- those are the power resistors. They're not Dayton. That would have pre- predated Dayton. It was, it was, yeah, I believe they're Bannock. Okay. I believe they're Bannock, okay. which means, I don't know, they could be in, uh, resistors that have some inductance to them because they're wire wound. Yeah, they're and, wire wound. And it might have been before they really started doing that. Dayton it really has done a lot of non-inductive wire wound stuff. But uh, but even then, you know, we know that, hey, there's a big step up going from wire wound to thick film and then going into graphite, graphite. when you p- start playing around with graphite stuff. So I actually want to replace that resistor with a dual end graphite. Yeah. Um, and uh, but you know that is my point is again that that you have a really really low value resistor, something I believe like eight ohms, bypassing and short pretty much what I call shorting out the capacitor. The only component that that's a on really that big bottom end. that's a really important aspect to it yeah. to me. Yeah. Is that you're taking out this series capacitor for a big part of the range. Do you think that uh, lessens the need for uh, having as good a capacitor as you possibly can in that? 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's my point. It's like is a that, trick up his is that, and, and even and a manufacturer's trick up. Well, yeah, sleeve. yeah. Very and smart. even if you yeah. did have a dual in capacitor, it's still not. It still probably isn't going to be as good as a resistor is. Yeah. You know, wow. capacitors are heavily flawed. Yeah, they have, yeah, yeah. you know, dielectrics that have all these complexities to them. Resistors compared are to resistors yeah. are just, uh, you know, it's just a a lot of you know wire in some cases, kind of or it's some sort of some sort of element that has resistive properties to it. So, um, so, you know, uh, yeah, it's an, in, those, those elements in the mid range are really fascinating to me. And to be honest with you, and what I brought up earlier in this podcast is that right now I'm a little bit overwhelmed with projects. I'm a little bit overwhelmed with, uh, you know, trying to prioritize what's so important. And I've recently stumbled across some stuff in my professional, um, uh, side of my uh, of of audio for me that I need to spend a lot of time on, uh, and so I've decided to keep the mid range in the Dunlavy. It just seems uh, like it's so built into the design, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I worry about changing that part. It's of not it. that you couldn't do it; it's just that you would be basically embarking on designing a new speaker again. Yeah, and I also it could miss. It, it could, could miss. be that. That there was this magical, uh, the, the fact that he used the box with the right driver, and then he has this, you know, uh, what I barely call a crossover for the mid-range, um, that that really is some of the magic to this design. So I, I've decided to actually keep the mid-range. Um, I'm keeping the text stream stuff. I bought the Satori text stream stuff that just launched in, last year from. Um, from from uh sb acoustics uh and you know it's some of the the uh you know latest state-of-the-art drivers best measuring um, stuff some yeah. of the some of the best measuring stuff hear- until you get to beryllium and stuff like that but you, you know you can't make the woofers out of beryllium so right now texturing for woofers but you pretty much make, the best yeah, in the world yeah um so so i've decided to actually use the texturing uh, mid mids and the tweeter that i bought for this open baffle project that I'm also talking about. So see, see this too many, pro- too many, many projects, right? I bought this CNC. I got to buy this. Well, I got to build this open D- baffle. Darren project. goes over to one guy's house, our friend Jordan. He goes and listens to some knockout open baffles on Jordan's DIY tube preamps and his DIY beautiful 45 tube amps or yeah. something. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Gets his mind blown and it's just like, I gotta do this. Okay, where I'm an open baffle guy now. Yeah, and he's got text he's got I a text stream uh uh eminence compression driver too in there. Yeah. It's pretty high end stuff that's Crazy. going on. And it cool, and the detail cool by the way, on that setup that he has, he has this waveguide with with the eminence text stream yep. uh compression driver with two watt uh, 45 amplifiers that he designed with like my flex amp, uh, my, my flex caps through the whole thing and, and just decked out inside. And it was, it's like headphone resolution Yeah, on a system. That's what's crazy. Uh, so, uh, anyways, I, I want to do the open baffle thing and I'm going to keep the tech streams for the open baffle thing. And then I'm going to replace the tweeters in the Dunlavies with the Satori, the SB Acoustic Satori Beryllium. Beautiful. Yeah, the Beryllium. Well, let's talk about the tweeter for a minute. So we've, yeah. we've described, 
in the past, my experience replacing my tweeters, we, we are talking about 30, 30 to 35 year old speakers. Um, and I, uh, I had a tweeter that, uh, developed a buzz, um, and, uh, and you and I, uh, went through this thing where we, you know, we did some searching online. Some people are saying, okay, there's a, is it Seas that does the XL t- tweeters or is that ScanSpeak? No, it's Seas. Seas. Yeah. So uh, we, we were reading, oh, some people were saying, oh, the, the XL tweeters are real nice drop-in replacement. Yeah, the T25s. Yeah, and yep. so we're looking at all the the specs and the frequency response plot, the waterfall plot, where's the resonant frequency. It turned out... Of the compared to the original tweeters, which were made by Audax, um, which are now made by uh, is it Peerless who makes? Uh, it's uh, is isn't it? It's Vifa, right? Vifa makes yeah. it now. It was yeah. originally uh, Peerless. It was originally it? Peer, Peerless. But you know what's interesting is that second pair of Dunlavies that I have that the or the SC two the center channel or whatever yeah. Yeah. has um, has Audax tweeters. Okay, there's a chance that that was a prototype what you I have kind of feel like it is actually yeah um, um we'll, and it may not be a production version of we'll get of into that, that in a second yeah because yeah. the sc2 is a floor stander yeah and i'm looking so at the you, back of this you have and I'm a like, model that doesn't even exist yeah, i have a model that doesn't exist All yeah right. so it had an odd, odd x tweet yeah he was actually john dunlavey was on a um he he was actually producing and building products up until his death yeah, and there's stories online of people going to uh, hear his state of the art Dunlavey speaker that mm. he had made, that he never got to release, <sighs> and they they said that it was like just like the best thing that they've ever heard, even to today. Like this is like pretty modern stuff that they've written, and they're just like, still, I haven't heard anything like that. That's why I feel like it's yeah. important for us to be doing this, like. Once we started realizing with all of our experience in these different ways to do things in audio and you come across this brilliant approach and you think, where can you go with this if you just take these philosophies and kind mm-hmm. of keep going, especially with modern materials? Well, everybody has their own philosophies. You know, like you have your your compression driver guys and you talk to them and you're like, well, why are you into compression drivers? Then they're like, well, distortion. I'm like way low on distortion, man. Yeah. I'm like lower on distortion than you, I promise. Are they right? Yeah, they're right. You know, the distortion yeah. of great compression drivers, um, if you're just, you know, having a hi-fi system in your room, yeah, you're getting lower distortion with a waveguide and a compression driver because it's barely moving at all. It's very true. Um, and so uh, so you have all these different philosophies. But you've got it in a horn. And, and try, you know, good luck mating it accurately to, well, to a nice paper you know, cone, big paper cone woofer. There's no free lunch. No free lunch. So there's, and, and so, uh, there's you other know, approaches like John did yeah. where they say, oh, I want an element of full range in here. I can, I can list to you a few that came to my mind of people who'd, okay, this driver's full range and then the other's are just a cap on this tweeter so there's a deckware speaker like that where the the, the uh, uh, desktop speaker where the main driver's full range and then there's a cap on the tweeter zoo audio full range driver cap yeah. on the tweeter right. what's different about that oh the the mid-range is not going to be a 12 inch driver because that would get really unwieldy and beamy i mean yeah. john had a very specific vision where he said you know, it's going to be a mid-range specific type of driver where it really, yeah, 
is the most effective at the mid range, but it's got these other qualities. But uh, what I want to I want to sum up my point before was that you know uh, everybody has their philosophies, and what I found is currently where I stand is that you know John was one of those guys who he was heavily opinionated on on various things in a loudspeaker and what mattered in a loudspeaker, mm. and he believed that the impulse response was uh, one of the impulse response and flat frequency response was one of the most important aspects to uh to audio performance out of a loudspeaker well i I will say that he you know there are things that i can say that in my opinion he was wrong about but but it didn't really harm the design that much i mean one of the things that i disagree with him on is uh is is time alignment i don't believe i don't believe in time alignment um, in, in any sort of, um, you know, minuscule way. Like I believe, like, you know, if you have a mid range, that's two meters out compared to, to a tweeter. Sure. But like, as far as changing it in millimeters or changing it in one inch, even, I don't believe that it's very audible because, you know, Theory's, your theory says that as you move, you're going to change. Yeah, you're those changing relationships. You, you just move your head drivers. a little bit and your time, the time of the whole loudspeakers out. Um, so, you know, of course you don't want, like with subs, we don't want our subs appearing three meters out in time. You don't want that. So it matters, but, but it's if not it, the most important thing here. It, well, it matters if it, in large quantities, like anything, like if, if you're listening to something that is literally three meters out in time, that's a problem. But in, in, in as far as inches, I, I'm not really, I haven't been sold. Again, I always say this. I, if someone wants to prove it to me, I'm open to it, but I just don't believe, I don't believe that that is what makes first order design special. I believe it's actually the phase coherence. Right, right, right. That really makes it. Now that's a different effort when you develop a speaker. Can you describe how you might take a multi-driver speaker, forget about all the timeline and stuff, and mm-hmm. just focus yeah. on phase coherence? Sure. Oh, how do you do that? Yeah, so uh, one of the problems is that if you take, if you go to any sort of uh, higher-ordered filter, like such as like a second-ordered filter and above... The steeper the slope the, we're talking about, the crossover. Exactly. Yeah. So once you get into those, when they sum together... They they actually uh, sum out a phase, and so you have to flip uh, one driver's phase in right. order for them to sum in phase, and so that you don't get any sort of notching. Well, let's back up a second. Every filter creates a, some kind of phase change. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and sure. The, the sh- Even the most, a first does. The most shallow filters have the most benign phase change, which is forty five degrees, something like that. But it's a slight phase change. But but we need to focus on the summing element. That's what we need to focus on. So the on. junction You're, of two we don't want to get we don't want to get off. Whenever you have a a frequency response variation, yeah. in in the analog domain, you have frequent you have a phase shift. Gotcha. So you so we don't want to get we don't want to get on that topic because it complicates it. Let's let's stay okay. on, let's stay on the topic of okay. when but, you're making but, a but speaker. The, but you, the idea that a filter is not without its its impact on the phase is sure sure sure. But what we're worried about is the summing element. When That's you what add we're, two filters together. Correct. Yes. Which is what we're doing in a speaker is that we're summing we're summing them together and trying to get them to overlap correctly. Right. Correct. And so the problem with going higher order is that when they sum, 
they sum out a phase with higher ordered stuff. And so that's, that's an issue. So the way you correct that is if you have like a mini monitor or something or just a two-way loudspeaker and you have second order, what do you do? You flip the leads on the tweeter. Yeah. Right? And then now it sums correctly because it sums out a phase Look, naturally. More, more correctly. It's, it's closer. Well, it, well, it's closer. In, it, it sums in, in the frequency response. It sums correctly. I guess if you have second order and it's 180 degrees, then it's going to sum pretty mathematically correctly. What I'm saying is that if you, if you don't flip the leads on the tweeter, you get a huge freaking suck out. Yeah, it like, sucks. Like you, it, it actually sucks massively out because yeah. you're getting Working against any it, sort though. of overlap is out of phase and it cancels. Cancellation of, yeah. of frequency. And you flip the leads on the tweeter and all of a sudden, bang, like you get the flat frequency right. response and the overlap uh, as long as your cues are correct okay um, so you're talking about slopes so, so this is part yeah of the process and so one of, of the this. things is that you want to use if you want to have a phase coherent loudspeaker you want to use first order shallow slopes because they sum uh in phase together oh. so you can have all first order cross uh, uh first order crossover and you don't have to do any sort of uh, flipping on the leads of any drivers. Now, are they perfectly in phase, or is it just close enough that it works? It's 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 in phase. Okay. Yeah. There's no. You're not flipping any leads of of any drivers. Well, right. But second order in 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 above second order, you flip it, and it's and it's actually like like perfect, like like it's a 180 degree phase shift, right? But isn't first order like a little bit of a phase shift? It's just no it, question relative to the whole design relative to the whole frequency response you're still in phase yeah no okay yeah in um, in the past bands so so first order crossovers allow you to start chasing this phase coherence but then as you're developing your speaker how do you test that and how do you how would you adjust it if you're John Dunlavy just picking your brain as a yeah so engineer so you got with first order crossovers you have uh several issues and that is is that you know drivers misbehave when they're out of the range of their optimal sure. uh, use right yep. so you start using uh notching to notch out areas uh that are undesirable problematic areas and usually uh, where there's a addition of problematic stuff so that a notch would actually bring it back to linear yeah right because it wouldn't be a natural suck out because then you'd need actually some sort of boost or something or to avoid that suck out to begin with. So John's got notches all over the place. And did, one, yeah. one thing that's really interesting that I can, uh, I, you know, that I'm, I can describe to you. That's, that's the thing. There's some areas in the crossover that I don't understand. I'm not going to talk about those. I'll give them to you if you want. <laughs> but, uh, but I don't fully understand them. And we're trying to, to understand more about what he did. But the, the, uh, so what he, one thing that's very interesting is that with a, with a first order system, one huge drawback is actually the tweeter hmm. because tweeters don't uh, like low frequency. They don't like low frequency. And, In fact, you've got yeah. a low resonant frequency of a tweeter, you know, body or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're told you have to make the crossover like, like a thousand more hertz above this or else or, or about like damaged. an octave above yeah an octave so yeah, you yeah, just yeah. double double that double so. it 
and then don't even think about going below that because tweeters just can't handle this stuff. Right. And and when, by not handling, I'm not talking about just distorting. I'm talking about blowing. Catching on fire. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's possible. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, you know, I, like, I blew my tweeter in the Dunlavy because yeah. it is, it's crossed over extremely low. Um, and what we found was the the tweeter was also somewhat shelved as well. <laughs> so he's he it's has not this even weird, like okay, let's not even keep going this down for the tweeter. He has it's another like, weird yeah, weird shelving. It's a very shelf. very yeah. odd way of designing last a roll off a shelf. Yeah, so and that resistor odd. must be important as well. Yeah, very odd. I mean, the the, the crossover in the tweeter circuit is very complex for a first order design. Uh, yet it only has in series just uh, essentially padding padding it with a resistor and a series capacitor like you would expect. Um, but then he has an LCR, I believe, across that that uh, that series capacitor that's hmm. that's acting as the high pass capacitor, um, and uh, and then he has a parallel. LCR and that parallel LCR, what that's doing is it's notching out the resonance frequency. That's the notch. of of the, the of the tweeter. Specific so tweeter. Each each uh, yeah each crossover is hand soldered in the factory. Right. After they they measure that tweeter and they get the exact resonance. You yep. know you could use like the Dayton DAT system now yeah. and, they and actually the just get right the there. actual resonance frequency of yeah. of the of the tweeters. Yeah. And then they they tune that in the factory before it goes out for the exact to to notch out the exact resonance frequency because the resonance frequency of that tweeter is around nine hundred and fifty hertz. Chris and I measured that it's still quite active at eight hundred. So hertz. they're using it below the resonance frequency. It's just <laughs> yeah, like it's staggering. It's, it's just so like there's all this textbook. He's breaking textbook breaking stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. breaking rules saying that the phase coherency and time alignment is more important than all these other aspects of, of speaker design, including high quality drivers. Um, the, the woofers are actually his biggest splurge. They're actually very, yeah. they're rather expensive your rather workers, cutting edge for the bigger speakers the sc4as yes yeah. they're they're rather cutting edge woofers they were cutting for edge woofers at the time yeah. still available on the market today uh they have uh they have shorting rings in the in the woofer which is there were some of the first designs from mm. Scanspeak to have that technology mm. that today is a is standard for really high-end yeah really high-end drivers so um so they're they're still uh, about 200 or i believe they're, uh, I believe they're two hundred and something dollars a piece. Still, I mean, it's an it's an expensive driver, so it's it's a nice woofer that's in the in the Dunlavy four for the for the woofer, but the tweeters are are not much at all, and they're they're fairly cheap in construction. Uh, they're not anything like today's uh, tweeters in performance or even the way that they sound. Uh, they they sound like an older tweeter. Um, and the, uh, and the mid range isn't really anything that special either. So he wasn't really, let me put the best driver in the, in the thing. He was more so of about phase and time coherency. If you look at the back of the, uh, Dunlavy speakers, look, what's the, 
the logo of Dunlavy is an impulse response. Yeah. It's, it's all about, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, having a true incorrect impulse response, uh, in the, in the speaker. So what did the SC stand for too? It was something like along the same lines. I don't know why it's escaping me right now. I don't know. I don't know what SD. That's a good question. I've never thought about that. At one point I knew it was like, uh, anyway. Um, Uh, So so, so Brian's original question of my my, uh, Dunlavy SC3s. Uh, Let's talk for a second about what we envision if, if, for each of us, the, mm. uh, as as we look at our Dunlavy speakers, see what's left on the table, see uh, use what we've learned, uh, and think about where we can go next. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's. Um, I would say, you know, at this point, you really can't you really can't reproduce the design, unfortunately. I, and I I hate to say that, but you know, it would. Uh, we were gonna attempt to redesign the crossover and it would just it would take a long time to get the mid-range right i think Mm -hmm. and i was somewhat pessimistic about it but um but chris said you know i think we can get it and i i trusted chris on that um and then in conversation you know chris and i were kind of like yeah it's going to take a lot of time to get it right probably find the right driver yeah. maybe or, or no no try to 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 uh to get the oh, crossover to go with right. your text streams yeah. yeah to find to get the crossover dialed, well i mentioned right. find the right driver because as we mentioned that's a little bit about well the text streams are just uh they're just light years ahead of what's yeah. in there so as long as you can get the crossover right you can make the text stream what you want because the text stream is basically like this yeah, you know they're like wide band you're gonna thing that to, is amazing have to fairly aggressively filter it oh you would no still you do don't the they don't break they don't break up <laughs> the text streams don't right. even break up yeah they're they're beautifully behaved if you look at the measurements of them well what uh, are you worried about that it would lose some of the they would up the I, resolution too much that i've designed speakers before and like crossovers take a long time they do absolutely yeah, yeah and i 100%. i just it's uh like that I get it that getting the mid-range right when he's got it as good as it is now i just uh it's just something i need to take off my plate i've got, got some got things it. have come up uh in my uh in my work that i need to focus yeah, more new on. opportunities yeah, um and cool. so um and so i'm just going for the brilliant tweeter replacement at first which is going to be a redesign of the tweeter crossover of course to get that tweeter worked into the speaker but the thing about it is that the tweet that tweeter is you know a hundred times that old tweeter mm-hmm. um especially power handling the the um the, the the frequency response so you know there's nothing that that the old tweeter has that the, that something like that doesn't um unlike the mid-range where it was just this really weird situation where you have a really odd crossover that works with the driver and it's mostly the the driver and the box that is causing most of the bandpass nature right, of it right and Crazy. so because of that I, i'm a, i got a little sketched out about reproducing that now i am um i'm excited when you when you hear that kind of thing it, it for me it, i start thinking about like wilson wham and and some of the wilson big big approaches to like putting a lot of sealed drivers in small boxes and kind uh-huh. of like um and they're know, not they're not sealed 
Uh, oh, right. right. Some they of them are, are open back, which is very interesting. But, but I mentioned Wilson. I can mention a billion other companies' yeah, yeah, yeah. names. What uh-huh. was one I had Salk Sound the other week that had a mid-range that allowed you to put one thing on the back to seal it or to, to put another thing on the back to make it open baffle? Mm. And so it had a lot of flexibility, actually, with this mid-range. And it shows you the, the trade-offs. Uh, in your room, if the open baffle works more, it'll give you this greater sense of fill, body, and ambiance, but it will reduce the amount of resolution and pinpoint imaging that you can get with the closed design, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one of the things I think about, you know, so it just makes me excited when I think about, like, maybe it'd be cooler to try to use Dunlavy philosophies to come up with a unique new... MTM. And again, this is a lot of work. It's a big project, something you can't handle. But Brian, maybe you want to take tackle this type of thing. Or if I was thinking about me and I didn't have a brand new baby and two kids and lots of responsibility, you know, this is the type of thing that, you know, you, you got me really excited about this kind of stuff. The more you were going through the Dunlavy understandings and then um, some of your explorations with some of the MTM stuff that you've been trying to wrap your head around. Why do I love this MTM approach or this, you know, MMTMM approach that the Dunlavies have? Mm-hmm. Um, so Brian, as I think about my SC3s and what I'm going to do, um, the where you, you, you brought it up, but you see this in a lot in audio. Some of these genius guys are genius in their areas and then in areas where they don't have time or, or it's not effective for them to focus their efforts, they say, oh, that's just good enough. Uh, <laughs> case in point, Siegfried Linkwitz goes into uh, pages and pages and thousands and thousands of words of, of explanation of why his Orion four-way open baffle, multi-active way speakers are really awesome and, and really achieve their goal. And then when he gets to amplification, it's too much to handle. You need so much amplification, eight channels of amplification for two stereo speakers. So four stereo amps Yeah, that, that it's like, he's already gone with you through this whole journey about the speaker. He, he, he can't start new and start a whole new essay about like, you need yeah. four awesome stereo amps. So he says, you know what? Get a card amp, multi-channel amp seven channel eight channel amp and be done with it well you know that's one interesting perspective of of it but uh my perspective of it is that well i wanted that, to tie that to john dunlavy just okay. in the sense that he's yeah. mentioned that he doesn't believe in cabinets making a big effect on it. he doesn't believe stands. in spiking he doesn't believe in stands yeah he didn't, he didn't believe in stands much which he's just wrong about so, um, but, so it was an interesting fact. And so when I'm yeah. looking for the SC3s and measures of improvements, that's an obvious one. Right. And, and so I just want to point out, that's an interesting perspective. Um, my perspective on it is that great engineers tend to, uh, they're trained in basically isolating variables. Okay. And so they go, they go oh, uh, well, I have reasons to believe that I can isolate and cross out this variable. And, and that helps and me focus more on that this That helps area. me accomplish my goal and yeah. solve for X. Right. And my, so, my, and my so ob- it's a way that we're, that we're trained yeah. 
that in audio, it's a very difficult task, the fact that, oh, no, but you have all these variables. And the engineer goes, no, 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 please. I can't do that. I can't handle no that. No engineer can be a squirrel. No, no, no. An engineer is not a squirrel of just like, what's that? What's that? What's no, that? You know, yeah, yeah. No, no. Focused no, I mean, energy. Focused it, it, it's so yeah. it's so true though man like you look at like some of the, the best amplifier designers and what's interesting about them is is a lot of times what do you see like bad parts bad parts like, they, it's like you didn't get to the point of you crossed out the fact that the parts matter a lot yeah so you created a great design that measures well which means a you lot forgot, to you. your circuit and then means you forgot the freaking parts yeah. man like yeah. and the better the the circuit measures the more you hear the parts the more you hear the parts <laughs> so it's 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 a very interesting thing it's like that's why you got to be a you got to be a well-rounded listener but you, yeah. you as an engineer you have to keep an open mind and and you know these Dunlavies they're not without their faults the, the cabinet is audible the, the 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 stand sucks. The base, the way they connect to their base and the way that Oh base... the stand is the stand is atrocious. Garbage. Yeah. It's it's horrible, the stand. It, like that you gotta you gotta do some we gotta do something about the stands. But the but if you buy Dunlavies, you know, try to rig something up about uh, get the get the thing off the floor, put some concrete under it, do something. Cause the he created this perfect uh, uh, coupler. It's like he tried to couple it to the floor. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> it's like this big piece of MDF, like Giant just right sheet. on the. Let's it's, increase the surface area. Yeah, yeah you know yeah. Uh, that's touching the floor and like no, no spikes, no nothing on it. Yep. You know, I mean, it's it's a really bad idea because you're you're basically move now. Your floor is a big transducer. You just don't want that at all. Um, so you know, th- look. Brian, my, my recommendation is this, um, just because, you know, I, I've I spent some time thinking about it. I have the, the, the crossover for the um, Dunlavi SC4. If you want those schematics, um, I'll be happy to share yeah, them sure. with you and you can look at them. Um, but, but, you know, what I recommend is this, is you're in Colorado, buy SC3s. You know, be on the outlook for some SC3s used. Mm-hmm. Buy them and start modding them. Yeah. Do That's what, what I recommend. Doing, uh, because mod the base, mod the wiring, mod yeah. those resistors that are very important in yep. those bypass spots on the mid-range and the tweeter. Yep. And, and if you want to do some tweeter, um, if you want to follow me with the Beryllium upgrade, then you know, you're free to. And I'm sure that the top end of that is very similar to the SC4. You know, he took that, that module is probably very similar mm. and then he changes the bot, the bottom end. Right. Mm. Cause the, it's not based on dimensions, um, very much. What? The, the, the mid, the mid oh. and the tweeter. Mm. Yeah. It's probably just slight crossover changes based on the baffle size. Yep. Um, but they're the same drivers. I thought we had the same mids though. Same mid, same tweeter. Same tweeter. That's why. Yeah. I yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying that. The crossover is probably similer on the top end. Oh, like I the see. Tweeter, we the haven't tweeter pulled crossover. the SC three yet. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. haven't. But the tw- I bet I'm assuming that the tweeter crossover yeah. is similar. Yeah, it's got to be. the SC. We get the same yeah. experiences sonically from these. Speakers. Yeah, yeah, and they it's the, the same, same tweeter. It's yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so given that, you know, what I come up with with the new crossover for the Brilliant tweeter, if you're interested in doing something along those lines of t- tweaking it that way. You know, throw out the stands, like get some 
outriggers done yep. on them. You know, it's they're hell of a speaker, and you're in Colorado, which is the best place in the world to find Dunlavies for the obvious reason. So they were made in Colorado, um, Colorado Springs. Actually. Yep, uh, that's actually how we got a got a hold of ours. Yeah, and, and we shared yeah. this story on that podcast that was one of our practice podcasts that we never released. And uh, uh, did you talk about this when we briefly mentioned it recently? Uh, I think you did. Just essentially that someone bought and tried to continue or or bring back or con- you know, just continue the magic of Dunlop and keep the company going um, after John's uh, tragic that's, death. That's my understanding, and it may not be accurate, you know? So, yeah, it's it's just... My understanding is that someone did uh, try to carry on the company afterwards. Well, you can find out that um, it was actually bought. Yeah, that's that's a that's a factual thing, but we don't know a lot about the circumstances. We don't know about the the actual the ending of it, but um, it basically, that a a uh, a friend of mine in Boulder was offered a pair of SC four A's. Mm-hmm. Uh, that were sitting in the warehouse when they were trying to clean everything out. Right. Brand new pair in, in boxes. And that's actually the pair that I have today. Those are the ones that he um, got. Yeah. So they were actually some of the last manufactured uh, ones, which were the A version. And they were yeah. planning on doing A's for everything. They did do they, the A they, for the three, by the way, which had a 10-inch oh, bottom-firing woofer. Yeah. What? Yeah, I've told you about this. No. No, it's been a long time. Talked about it. There's oh, not a lot of information uh, available about it, but it has a 10 inch bottom firing woofer, mass loaded at the bottom, firing downwards. Wow, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's a little different. Yeah. There were some models. I don't know which ones. Like I don't know whether it was the sixes, but the A's. Some models, the A's were never released. Um, yes, correct. and and so uh, uh, this is actually um, early on the podcast. I said I'd come back to this point where. It's very hard to design a speaker objectively and get it right right away. Yeah. And so here's an interesting thing to oh, look yeah. at. Yeah. There's, here's just a really interesting thing to look up. Look, look up the stereophile SC4 measurements on stereophile. And then open a new tab and go to stereophile SC4-A. Uh, measurements. I think it's SC-4A, and I think it's SC-4. I'm pretty sure. And it's Roman numerals. Well, I yeah. think that's where the dash is. I right. think the A is no dash. But anyway, just for Google. Yeah, well, it's, well, it's like... For Google. Yeah, it's like a forward slash A. So, yeah, whatever. So you've talked um, to me about this before but, in, in the sense that, that John was a, a react... Or not reactive, but an open engineer enough that he, that he listened to his customers, right? Yeah, so I think the A's were feedback from people in the field uh you know that owned his speakers on their thoughts on the sound the over the tonal balance at Mm -hmm. least and so what's interesting is go to the frequency response of the four versus the four a okay you do that what you find the four looks amazing the four looks like a blade flat as hell it looks like a blade it's just flat and then you go to the four a and it's not it's not flat and it, and then you go to now go then go to reviews of the two and everybody's like don't even think about getting the four right you gotta have Get, the you four gotta a. have the four a yeah the four a is the only one so uh so it's it's uh it's very interesting it's almost like you know he he used measurements for the four and the original releases so much 
And those were uh, these amazing objective designs. Yes. Uh, that I, I, you know, I don't know this by fact, but my guess is that they were mainly measurement-based speakers given the literature. If you look in the, um, the literature that comes with them, which I have all the original manuals, they came with uh, the measurements of the actual serial-numbered mm-hmm. pair of your, your actual loudspeakers, which are pretty cool, um, and the impulse response, too, uh, in the yeah, anechoic chamber. cool. Um, but that, uh, that it says that these loudspeakers were designed around measurements instead of, you know, subjective listening. Um, well, and what does John say is that the, the SC, what well, he's talking about the threes, he was like, this doesn't measure in terms of phase response, like a speaker. It measures like a piece of electronics. John Atkinson. He did, said that. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, he did. He's more more like electronic component than a speaker. Well, so yeah, so but, the main difference between the um, four and the four A is that is that you get more bass output in the four A. I mean, if we're gonna yeah. really like do the overhead summarization of what the difference is, there's also a peak uh, at high frequency as well. What makes you think about Fletcher Munson curves mm-hmm. and the realism of human ears attached to this thing? And and what are the volumes that these guys are listening to? What's the what's the music that they're listening to? And maybe ultimately, I do need to correct for the loudness, you know, for for. It not being actually linear in their brains at the volumes that they're listening to. That's that's what I think. Or and and that's not to say that your point's not okay. uh, not correct. Or the the measurement systems are not that accurate too. Mm. You know, especially at low frequency. That's what we we're talking about. Oh, how how that even in the anechoic chambers, they're right. not as accurate as they think they are. Right. Um. And so you know, that's something that. Uh, oh man. You know that uh, Chris and I have been talking about recently a lot is the fact that it's very hard to get uh, accurate uh, measurements today. We have moved along in anechoic chambers, and they are, of course, more accurate than they were in the nineties. Uh, and, and there are systems today. There's a lot of money, you know, you're talking yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars, yeah. um, that do have resolution, uh, way down into, into the, the low frequencies. But, um, but you know, uh, when you're designing a loudspeaker in high end audio, you don't have necessarily, uh, some of the, you know, same tools that a company like Harman has or mm. something like mm. that. So you, you do have to rely on on listening and and getting it all getting it all right. But I I just think that was an interesting scenario where you have yeah. this guy who's very objective and also just absolutely brilliant, obviously in what he's doing. But that his his um his later speaker that he puts out measures actually quite a bit worse in frequency yeah. response. And it's but well, then everybody else received. says you have to buy that one. It's not only better received; it's it's an industry standard for mastering engineers. Yes. Once you have Bob Ludwig uh, espousing, I think the five is what he does, what he uses. Yeah, he has five of those fives, and mm-hmm. we have a, a local um, Grammy-winning mastering engineer, David Glasser, who's a big fan of Dunlavey's uh, fives as well. But man, it's just some people say that the five was the best he ever he ever made yeah i wish you know this is part yeah. of our journey you know we'll we'll maybe we'll get a pair one of these days there know. were three three pairs available in california not long ago amazing but uh but you know they're large those are large suckers you gotta big, have a big, big huge room. freight shipments yeah be huge, huge. Cost. yeah oh you gotta go pick them up 
Yeah, it's gotta pick it's, them up, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The the freight. I mean, the freighting would just be crazy on them. So, anyways, Brian, thanks for the question. But you know, you know, try try to try to. Find, I don't know how big your room is. And just remember also that Dunlavies are. Um, they're a lot. Uh, you know, smaller sounding than they they actually are because <laughs> they're not ported, and so um, the the threes don't have much low end to them. And oh, the, that's what you were going on. Threes make no yeah. bass. Yeah, you you're gotta gonna have need subs. subs. You gotta have subs. You're gonna that. have it's, subs. Yeah, exactly. Hundred percent. But but I've I've been loving life because uh, I have tubes on my threes which have a really stable four ohm rating across their like their yeah. impedance response yeah. is so flat. that's actually another thing too is that the the impedance uh he made the impedance flat on them too. yeah easy to drive just yeah. easy so tube yeah. darlings you know so yeah, so, so they love tubes yeah. but then what is my problem with tubes oh the base okay not a problem, really, if I'm crossing over my rel subs at, at closer to 70 as opposed to, like, 30. Yeah. I'm crossing them over at 70, and so I have my AB amps and my rel subs doing that. And I've got... I'm basically running, like, a tube, an awesome tube hybrid system using yep. dual subs with my SC3s. So that is yep. how you do SC3s. They yep. don't make bass. And if you look them up, most people's reviews are terrible because they're like, these things don't make bass. I powered it with my Onkyo receiver and I don't like the sound. And I'm just like smacking my head into my hands because mm-hmm. you, you feed these things with better and better amplification and they just respond. And um, mm-hmm. like we said, not state-of-the-art drivers compared to today. Some problems with the, the cabinet but but you get a few of these things that he believed were correct um, or, or were, were the design objectives. You get those right, and it's amazing. Have you heard you heard the SC4 uh, base in the den? Yeah. So you don't need subs. No, all. it's absolutely full range. It's really good. It's it's absolutely full range. So so my point is is that like my my den is fifteen and a half by seventeen. So, um, so, you know, given your room size, you know, you may even want to be on the outlook for, for fours that are in the area as well. So I can't, I can't fully commit to, you don't need subs. I will never say to any full range speaker that any full speaker is actually full range, but only because I firmly believe that for a, when you use a very purpose built, uh, driver and cabinet, uh, a la a sub, in a very very narrow bandwidth range the the ability for you to move that in different places than the rest of the speaker and it is outweighs from in my opinion like the 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 i guess strength of having only the speakers in the room and not extra transducers and of course this is going down another rabbit hole we could talk about for an hour right but i'm just such as i need subs like i remember Number one rule like make the loudspeaker as full range as possible as full range as possible make then, the sub work as little as possible yeah, then then it's you have most linear yeah you're right very massive subs on the very bottom because it, you're everything stacked against you in uh at low frequency and, 20 and to 30 most most audiophile subs are just actually almost all audiophile subs are pretty horrible ineffective at 20, at 20. you need to get into they're the actually stuff. 30 hertz yeah, yeah even the yeah. even the biggest of the biggest the ones that claim like this is 20 hertz yep you have to pull off such a feat in order it's, to actually do it 
It's unbelievable, yeah. actually. Yeah. It's you know you need to get into refrigerator size boxes yes. with ports in order to get uh, really low distortion uh, and the massive eighteen twenty one inch drivers to get yeah. really low distortion in the twenties. And so a lot of times we think we're hearing bass and we're hearing the second harmonic. We're hearing, we're hearing the hearing doubling, yeah, doubling. And yes. so, um, right. and so that's why I've gotten into Pro Audio 18s because it's for the first time I don't hear doubling. You hear fundamental all, bass when I go to shows. All I hear in audiophile subs is just it doubling on the bottom. Yeah, a thickening. Um, I totally get it. Yeah, the harmonic second harmonic. Just but when so you hear rich. at a Pro 18s and 21s, it's like you actually hear the fundamental, and you're like, whoa. See, this is um, why I still want to make those Jensen Imperial horns of of mm, deckwares mm-hmm. um, because that's, that's the, the other whole trick philosophy. is you can make a horn and then the driver is not moving much. Well, and, and this is a refrigerator size box <laughs> that also uses a horn. Of course, yeah. You never can escape physics, right? No, no, you never. It has to be. Everybody huge. wants it small. Yeah, yeah. And if you just make it huge, it's so much easier. You just get all of your stuff if you can just be okay with yeah. a giant refrigerator being yeah. your sub. But anyways, the that look, the threes and the fours, both you can't go wrong. I'm curious on the size of your room, but uh, but you know, look out for them because I I'd say instead of building a pair, you need to just start with a mod a pair, mod a pair because the keep the mids. It's not. I think it's a uh, I'm just, I'm not going to end up going down that rabbit hole. I love it. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. That experience that, yeah. that you kind of like went there. I, about I think it the tweeter is a back. pretty limiting part of the design compared yeah. to modern tweeters. Well, so. I found a, a huge uh, uh, performance increase by just uh, updating my tweeters with the same exact design, just new ones. I, I, you know. I wonder a lot about that. I wonder about, um, you know, just because how hard it is on the tweeter. Obviously, I, I blew it. And I, I don't, like, I wasn't actually listening at some ridiculous level. Um, and the, uh, you know, you got to wonder, you know, that coil heating up over yeah. years and years and years. Well, it's and ferrofluid it's, cooled too. And changing. so the ferrofluid drying as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I never yeah. thought about that part. Um, but the you know you're changing the parameters of the driver over over heating it up and then it cooling down, heating up. So you know I I've been wondering about that. And Chris and I were talking about how perhaps you know when we replaced your drivers that your your speakers uh, really blossomed Finally came when alive. you got when you got brand new tweeters in there. This is the only caveat so, I'll throw. I took the tweeters as they were that I replaced. So. Let me back up. One of my speakers started buzzing. I replaced that tweeter with the tweeter that was in that prototype center channel that I talk about. So it's it 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 it, it appeared to be the same tweeter, but it's out of a different speaker. And so what we know about Dunlavi is he tweaked each crossover specific to that tweeter. So I know, okay, I'm deviating a little bit. Well, I put that in. I kind of enjoyed it for a little time. It was finally like, oh, like thank goodness the buzz is gone. But I knew I wanted to replace them. So you said, uh, you and I did some research. We said, here are the, the drivers. You ordered them. Uh, we just popped them right in. It, it stuck out like a sore thumb for a week, and then it just disappeared, and it became beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. But I took those old tweeters, and I made them my office speakers. Remember how I DIY'd those oh, that's right. pair that's of speakers? Right. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So right now... And I and my system at work only gets better with everything that I do, right? Mm-hmm. And so I recently 
redid my speaker cables. I, I DIY'd some um, interconnects, which are XLRs, and all I did was braid 60, 20, uh, sorry, 26 gauge solid silver uh, dual end wire, uh, just a, an easy braid, no shield, done. Those are my interconnects. Um, I've got my power cable designs all throughout my system. I've got my um, uh, deckware Omni radio or radials at the ends of my desk, and then I've got these DIY speakers as my main thing. And uh, tweak that setup. <clears throat> oh, of course, me. It's Tweak Taylor, baby. It's uh, Tweak uh, you know, <laughs> Itis. I've got four, you know, uh, $300 rel caps on the tweeters in there or something like that, $200 or whatever they are. Crazy, a decent value. They're like 4.5 mic or something or 3.5 mic. So it's, it's spendy. Rel caps. Um, these things are incredible. I get the craziest cool imaging. These tweeters still have a lot of life. It's a long-winded thing where I'm talking about my system like every audiophile loves to do. But mm-hmm. I'm just saying... That even after all that abuse, I'm still enjoying these tweeters. I didn't throw them away. They're still working. They're still great. It's it's amazing what he was able to do. We really didn't destroy them. Yeah, maybe that one that one that I had dried out a bit because mine, mine got destroyed. Mine Yours mine opened. You were willing to listen a like lot two, louder two than two I mega, was. Two mega ohms. It reads that. Oh, is that what it oh, reads yeah, across? Yeah. The, yeah, let's see what the resistance is here. Pretty so, much opened. So anyway, um, he picked some great drivers. I don't know what my point was with that, but I'm just telling you that's my experience. Yeah, you know, he picked the drivers that made sense at the time. Um, And, you know, the tweeter is is probably a a pretty big limiting factor right now. I mean, compared to what else is out there. So you buy these speakers, look up the tweeters, or message us. We'll give you the part number. Oh, yeah, yeah. And think about just replacing those right away. Yeah, or sure. as, as a part of it, keep yeah, the it's tweeters. Cheap. It's they're cheap. They are. They thirty bucks each or yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 worth it. And then, um, and then, oh my god, there's so many mods that can be done with these speakers. Well, I, I want to do wiring. The, the the wiring is is horrible. Oh, the, the wiring already, is just disgusting inside. It's, I've already it's replaced the the bi wiring uh, brass plates with yeah. jumpers, and I've tried three different jumpers, and I've landed on my favorite. See, that's amazing that the jumper makes a difference when yeah. when it's so oxidized inside. It's like I when I opened I up my Dunlavies, there it's like green wire. Well, the the know, circuit boards look really clean. Everything looks clean and clean inside, except yeah. for the wiring. The wiring is horrible. It was horrible. not oxygen free wire. No, let's put it, it that way. And the, the, the copper and, is oxidized. Like, and the jacket uh, must have yeah. some PVC. I don't know. It's just like it's just some some things are going bad with it's that. The wire. Statue of Liberty in it's there, all man. green in there. It's, it's yeah. horrible. Yeah, but um, yeah, that's the wiring is what I'm thinking about. It's kind of an effort because you mentioned the sealed uh, mid range cabinets is actually uh, the the tweeter cabinet is also sealed, and so you've got mid range above. It's basically it's going to be a chore to do the rewiring. Um, but that's something that I'm focused on. I, I did want to share that, that my favorite jumper. So w- when you start reading about jumpers, uh, manufacturers of speakers will say, connect the speakers at the lower uh, binding post. So all the current, the highest current doesn't have some resistive thing in the place. So you don't connect the speaker leads to the tweeter and then mm-hmm. jumper the tweeter with to the woofer with small gauge wires. No, you put the the cables right into the woofer and then you can use low gauge wires to the tweeters actually because it's 
they're not using like a lot of there's not a lot of current right um that they're going to be pulling across yeah. that and it's also the mid-range on that top and the more that you understand yes in this design it's the woofer versus mid-range and tweeter tweeter yeah so the more that you learn about two a skin effect and the idea that that at at a, a certain frequency you have this change that starts happening where the electron activity on a on a um in, in when, when it as applied to ac signal or current across these the current conductors yeah the the ac is a huge part of it as the frequency rises you see activity happen more and more on the outside of the conductor yep. closest to the dielectric Meaning that the dielectric plays more of a role in terms of how thick is the dielectric, what's its capacitance, you know, what's what's the dielectric constant, constant that kind of thing. Right, right. So, um, you know, when you're jumpering your your speakers from your woofer to your tweeter, you can use low gauge. Then you could really focus on the dielectric. Okay, so I had three different things I tried. <clears throat> I tried um, solid gauge, twelve solid twelve gauge. UPOCC copper solid gauge with thin Teflon jacket. Then I tried, um, the second thing was the original brass plate. And then the third one was the Duolund 16 gauge tinned copper wire with, uh, with the, uh, what else did I try? I'm like, I know I tried I'm something just, else. I, I just, like, you know, we bring up wire and all of a sudden, I just Duncan start tweaking. Just like, yeah. You know, so, you know these tweaker. speakers are such, uh, you know, you know what's crazy is you can just buy these things and bring them home and hook them up to something. And they're going <laughs> to they sound, sound pretty great. damn good. Yeah. You know, but there, there's definitely all these tweaks that you could do. You could do to them. And, the dual and so, uh, just to jump to the point, was the best one. Anyway, oh, yeah. yes, you could do anything. I'm still, I tried two wires. Yeah. I, so I'm, I want to rewire. I need to rewire mine. The whole the, thing. The wire is just, uh, it's, it's horrible. It's garbage. And he was totally a lamp cord guy. Yep. He was totally a lamp cord guy. He did have some Dunlavy branded wiring inside, but it looks so it probably basic. came from China. It's so basic. You know, it was like lamp cord with Dunlavy. Yeah, right it's on not it. an OFC, so yeah, it's all no. green inside. Yeah. I mean, it looks white on the outside, but you cut that wire and you look inside. Oh, it's it's completely Bright oxidized. Yeah. yeah, it's it's horrible. Anyway. So, uh, so yeah, you know, they're beautiful speakers, really interesting design, very unique design that's very different than what's being done. Um, One of the reasons why, yeah, yeah, it's yours and my speaker, but it's more than that, and we felt it was it was useful. It's 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 really interesting information that we're bringing out because um, you can't find this information. You start searching, people are doing a couple mods out there. You can find more mods for the SC4 than you can for the 3A, just people's experiences or whatever is three. But like um, this, this is not just our speakers it's it's a fascinating piece of audiophile history that um we've been lucky enough to be able to understand you know something is interesting that you say audiophile history yeah because i don't see it that way i see that it's like completely missed by audiophiles was it ahead of its time no i think that it hit the um the pro 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 market more because they're not flashy there was no marketing around them. Right. Um, it was just like, hey, here's the measurements, and that's what's so special about it. 
Uh, there's no special paint jobs. There, the stands look weird. They're not good. They're not good looking speakers. Uh, and so I think that the it was never something that really you know piqued the interest of the audiophile world. Mm. They were missed. Like you have today in the vintage speaker world, you have all of these groups. Like the, you have the Klipsch guys mm-hmm. that that you know the heritages the heritage, heritage guys, ser- yeah. series guys. Right, right. You have you have the Infinity guys. You know, that's a yeah. big one. Yeah. You got all the horn, the different style horn guys, yeah. you know, the East Altec, Coast, West Coast, sound the guys. 70s. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you know, you have all these different groups. You have the, the BBC guys. Right. Um, right. And so you have all these different groups, the old, old, old uh, Acoustastat people. Planers. Yeah. Electrostat, you got all, all those. Yeah. But the Dunlavy crowd seems very, very small. Yeah. And uh, and yet you go to these mastering engineers and they're still using them. And they and they will they will preach their espouse their their uh, their strengths to the end of their day. I mean, Bob Ludwig is a Dunlavy like evangelist, <laughs> and I've heard a lot of Dunlavy talk from Bob, David Glasser, and and those are just two of, of preeminent mastering engineers. This is not just these two guys. It's Dunlavy. In the pro audio world, as we know, a lot happens with word of mouth. Um, you go, uh, I, I subscribe to Tape Op still, and uh, it's it's the best, pro, in my opinion, the best pro audio uh, magazine that there is. Hmm. And um, you still go to every page that's got an ad on it, and it's, this guy said this is good. This guy said this. This guy did this. And he says this headphone amp is good. I mean, that's how you sell things in the pro mm-hmm. audio world. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's proliferated in the pro yeah, audio. World. And one of the problems with um, when you get these speakers that get a big following is that the price goes up. Mm-hmm. And so you know you try to buy clips on the. Well, market you and I are single handedly trying to really drive expensive. up the price of Dunlavy. Oh, of right? course we have them already. <laughs> that's uh, obviously no. no um, it, it's it's uh they're they're in my opinion the Dunlavies are underpriced uh you know uh on the used market they're a great deal sure compared to some other speakers that have a big following that everybody wants to go after and the other thing is that a lot of these speakers these older speakers they require some odd you know amplification device i mean mm. for instance clips it's like you can't just put any random amplifier on a clips because it's going to take your ears off. Yeah, you got to you got to you know you want to think maybe like cool push pull triode, you know, yeah, uh EL34 thing or you want to go set amp on yeah, them. Yeah. You just don't need the power. You know, you don't want to go class D on them really at all. Um, and then you have Infinity Capenites, Infinity Cap and, and and you need you know I own them for a while. What what did I do to resolve the situation? I put QSC two kilowatt amplifiers yeah. on the bottom end that could just say crown they could, amps. They could drive 0.1 ohms those right. things, you know, and just right. be fine. I would hear the fans like running away, which is them. what you needed to do because what did yeah. it dip down to 0.3 or 0.2 <laughs> or something at one point? It it's it's like point it's point nine, I believe point eight, oh. which is just ridiculous. It's just, it is speaker that destroyed amps yeah famously destroyed amps just ridiculous um and so so you know uh you know the the kappa nine is is a cheap speaker that's a big speaker but you need a lot of money into the the amplification the thing about the dunlavies is that they're very sensitive they're very easy 
to drive generally they yes, really are they like really you are. you can drive them yeah. with 50 watt class class d amplifiers fine and i've done it you so, can you could take you could take sc3s you could buy hypex modules or whatever and you could drive them with hypex um uh freaking hypex modules yeah, and, and core 400s yeah. with with sc3s i'm sure it would sound okay i'm sure mm-hmm. you know you could do better but like yeah. it would, it would yeah. play music. Yeah, it would, you know. It, so they're not very amplifier sensitive in linear. the same way yeah. of a lot of other vintage speakers are. I find that interesting. All right, so, uh, we should move on. This has been awesome. We love talking about some of our favorite speakers, which um, dropped in our lap. We started appreciating them, then we started studying them, and this is this is the story. And it's just a special speaker that was a special man that had some insights that turned out to be forward thinking and, and still applicable 30 years later, 35 years later, we're, we're enjoying these speakers. We're not just enjoying these speakers, but these speakers are taking us through our audiophile learning journey. And, and it's, and it's, um, and it's, they're worthwhile enough to be, uh, you know, dependable for us. And, and if you've listened to us over these 51 podcasts that we've done we've got some fairly high standards so we hope that uh, that helps underscore the th- the things that we say about these very interesting speakers in in audiophile history but and we're trying to also learn from them too so yeah you know i i do have the crossover schematic of the sc4 and then uh, we should do the SC3. We'll do it. Like, we'll do to, it. To make you know sure. It slides out. And then, and then, you know, you, you're going to want to tweak the crossovers. I'm doing those, up, cr- those, those resistors. Yeah. Resistors. So, so anyways, you know, let us know. Reach out to us if you have any further information on Dunlavy yeah. stuff. Anybody want to go through this with and, us too? Uh, yeah. And Brian, you should probably, yeah, let's talk, man. Like, you're not far away. So, yeah. If you want to hear them. Thanks for the yeah. question, of course, Brian. Um, thanks for getting us talking about some of our favorite speakers. But without further ado, let's album get to the album of the week. week. Yes. Okay, so this one was interesting. Um, y- th- this guy, Tony Allen, uh, is featured on an album that you and I, that you shared with me six months ago no maybe a year ago maybe you sent me that tony album like tony allen album probably a year ago two years ago it was before covid because we were playing it at rmaf oh really yeah okay yeah we played it on uh on your 40.2 setup geez that was and we played them at we played them on the the um the we FR30 had, we had 40.2s on yeah. uh, on Macintosh amps with NOS uh, 60s tubes. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, so um, so Tony Allen is uh, originally known as Femi Kuti's drummer, um, and and one of the fathers, along with Femi Kuti, of Afrobeat. You know, a, a real sensation, a musical sensation in the in the uh 70s 60s and 70s you know 69 to 78 was when um tony allen was the drummer for fella Cootie's band um this afrobeat sound it's it's so recognizable if you if you're into uh world music 
you know there's an element of like straight kind of four four to it, but then there's all the extra stuff the and then the the addition and and the the addition of a bunch of different beats mm-hmm. uh strikes me every time I listen to afrobeat mm-hmm. uh after uh afro after that kind of session where he was with fella Cootie's band um in nineteen seventy eight he started doing a lot more solo stuff but um from from our research of tony uh it turns out that that from that time to the present he he has been more collaborative than mm-hmm. than anybody that's that's pioneered a genre like that. Yeah. So well, you know, some of the write-ups that we were going through were talking about how in the second half of his career, he took Afrobeat and melded it with rap, melded it with jazz, melded it with blues, melded electronic. it with electronic. Yeah. Like in in one of the albums that lit us up was his collaboration with Jeff Mills for this very Exactly. Uh it's it's this combination, it's this hybrid of like organic and electronic. Yeah, look look, look that very one up. African. Yeah, yeah, look that one up. Jeff to- Mills to- and- Tony Allen and Jeff Mills, look that up. That's that's really, really awesome. But uh but Tony Allen actually passed away last year in, in April. And uh there was an album that was scheduled to release and did release one month after he passed away. And this album is called Afrobeat Revolution. And while uh, it's it's possible that we like that that you and I may be drawn toward the the uh, collaboration with Jeff Mills a little bit more, we did find that that it was maybe a little extra cool that this album was you know his last thing that he did. Yeah, and it's I think it's more probably Tony Allen. This album, okay, fair enough, right? Yeah, and, quintessential. And last, you know, Jeff Mills brought in a yeah. lot of the electronic, yeah. and he's kind of yeah. so. So this is more just, yeah, exactly. Tony Allen's a drummer. Remember this, yeah. Some of the most, some of the most enjoyable parts of his music, you forget that he's a drummer because there's all this synergy with his music. You start hearing it. It's full African. You're like drawn into the bass. Mm-hmm. You're drawn into this, and then you notice like whoa oh that drummer and you start listening to the drummer and you're like this guy's in the pocket and he's just yeah. moving around and he's having fun and it makes you think man what other stuff is he doing like does he play bass does he is he doing any other instruments mm-hmm. just a fascinating thing once you start digging into this and there's album. some cool writing too like there's one song on this album called uh kindness that's your and, favorite and huh? yeah like there's like this line that says like don't mistake my kindness for weakness it's like wow that's you know like that's a that's a that's a deep thought well you know? that was his femi that was his style with femi cootie so femi was uh, a political activist and very poetic and that kind of thing and on the the kind of backdrop of of uh, Tony's drumming and the rest of the band, there would be a lot of these spoken word delivered things. So that's, mm. that's actually why it feels so natural mm. with his uh, with his own music because it's kind of his style. And that's like the Jeff Mills spoken because there's a lot of spoken word in that album. Yeah, you know where they just and I love how they do that. You yeah. know, so yeah, if you like this album, surely check out the Jeff Mills check album. Out Jeff Mills too, it but... is cool, and the recording is better. It's it's really audiophile actually do we have a, a one that we like on afro beat revolution uh the most because there's a lot of there's actually yeah the a lot first of track is really great 
Afro disco beat. Is yeah, the that's the that's song. a that's yeah. a great that's a great one to check out. Lyrically, I really like kindness. Like I said, kindness. That's a that's a really cool one. The, the, just listen. To, yeah, you listen to those two. Will give you two different types of uh, samples for the album, and then you know, and then just explore other stuff on the yeah. on the album. But yeah. you know, it's this this guy was a a, a legend, and and um, I didn't quite know how big of a deal he was yeah, when i discovered the Jeff Mills and and tony tony allen album which so. is nice because you're taking it on face value and you're taking yeah. it for the music and you're recognizing mm-hmm. that it's special and you're saying wow you know if we didn't know all the things that pino paladino had mm-hmm. done before but mm-hmm. we just listened to that album with mm-hmm. blake mills his right album, yeah yeah we would have a lot of respect for pino paladino right you right. know right. these guys show it you know, you yeah, don't they, need the yep. extra stuff to, mm. to, to change it. But. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this was a Darren recommendation. Thank you, Darren, for bringing Tony Allen to my life. You showed me that album with Jeff Mills. And, um, and again, this is just, gosh, so killer. It's so, great stuff. Great album. Um, all right. Well, if uh, I didn't mention this before, but we answered some listener questions. If if you would like to be a part of the podcast, or if you'd like to have your question answered, or if you'd like to share with us an audio file tip, our email address is hi-fi uh, at outlook.com. Um, if you uh, are new to the podcast, this is, I believe, our 51st episode. And in uh, each one, you know, averages around two hours and we tackled a lot of subjects uh, going back. So I recommend uh, checking all of those out. Um, but uh, with that, let's see. One last thing. Our website is www.thehifipodcast.net. If you are unsure of the album of the week or you can't remember it and you want to go check it out, um, I put that on the front page and also on our albums page. Um, so you'll have that those areas um that can direct you toward this awesome album but without further um you know fill in here uh we have reached the end of another awesome episode of the hi-fi podcast with darren and duncan i'm duncan i'm darren and we'll catch you next week all right bye the hi-fi podcast with darren and duncan is produced by darren myers and duncan taylor it's copyright 2020 of slope productions The intro and outro music is provided by Denver's Color Red Studios and features the song Bangs by the band Many Colors. 